Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos at Equity Brain. Joining me as always, waking up early, back-to-back mornings, Avery at Brave Grapes. Against my will. <laughs> Greg at Banana Morphs. I am so, so happy. Matthew Hubertson at No Pit Stops. Am I allowed to speak, Carlos? Is that okay? <laughs> Such a fucking Did asshole. Do you want me to respond there? And for the last time, Reed at <laughs> MF underscore Reed. Seriously, what happened, USC? Yeah, what happened, USC? Uh, I'm sorry, Matt. I, Matt is mad at me because I'm because I'm a, I'm a control freak. Uh, starting from I don't know last night at a McDonald's drive-through window, I was in the back seat and I ordered for Greg and I. Um, and Matthew Hubertson has not is not going to let me live it down for like another two weeks. And I it feel was like. hardly a successful order. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, call it. it. What do you mean? What it does it mean? He made a suggestion of what should be placed on the order. <laughs> uh, yeah, not good, not good. Anyway, whatever. Uh, Utah beat USC to win back to back Pac twelve titles. We were there for that game live. We're all here except for Reed. Reed is uh, uh, had no interest in coming to this game if Oregon wasn't in it. So he done fucked up. Yeah, I maintain that Reed would have came if Oregon <laughs> was playing. Yeah, what do you mean by came? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, we've had a blast. We've had some drinks. We've had a, a lot of fun. So we'll talk about the game. We'll talk about the environment and what the experience was like. We'll talk about implications for both teams. And we'll talk about Selection Sunday and the Pac-12 Bowl games. But first... Please leave us a five star review. I think we're at. I don't have our uh, our page up here, but I think we're at three point five stars still. Last time I checked, we are. Uh, we got a couple of great five star reviews. Uh, our favorite. This one says for Pac twelve sickos want to roast and toast and beef and grief with other insufferable Pac twelve sickos. Look no further, and that is from a uh, spooky connoisseur. Thank you for. Oh, there's still there's more here. Uh, it said, started listening because Carlos' Twitter account was once a comforting Kleenex for my brewing tears. Now this show has become crumpled up for crumpled up toilet paper for my tears of laughter. Fun banter, spicy takes, excellent mic placement, and somehow I'm now an Oregon State fan. <laughs> 12, out, 12 out of 10 would recommend if you aren't a Utah fan. Utah fan. <laughs> it grows. <laughs> it's gross. Uh, David Woods last night finally got a taste of just how depraved Utah fans are on Twitter. <laughs> Utah and, fans when they're winning are so fun. They just they come in swarms. It's so funny it's to watch. So it's fucking so annoying. Funny to watch. It was uh, great. Uh, yeah, there was a tweet. Uh, Kyle Whittingham had some. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit. Kyle Whittingham, Whittingham had some fucking insane horrible game management decisions like in the middle of the uh, second quarter and towards the end of the second quarter going into halftime and ended up working out because Utah got a touchdown like right at the end and then gets the ball back. But they were like, Stu, there were like timeouts after first downs when he should have used them on other sort of just at any other point. Uh, and David Woods is like, this guy's a fucking moron. And it's probably going to work out for him because he has, he's lucky and Utah fans like 
drilled him and he was like oh this is the worst fan base on the planet <laughs> uh anyway so uh utah fans are are something else anyway that's why they don't like coming listen to our show although i think we still have plenty of utah fan followers and greg is going to do a lot of utah propaganda today to to help keep them uh programming note our basketball episode continues to drop wednesdays at 5 a.m through football season Utah football was not the only Utah team to beat a number four ranked team in the country. (laughs) So we're going to talk about Utah's big win over Arizona on our basketball episode. How can there be two number four teams in the country? I don't understand. (laughs) There's multiple sports. Do you know that? Do you know that? Matthew Everson? Do you know that? You you know Utah basketball exists now, right? We have to consider if Utah was the one seed in the playoff, we know now that they are just invincible against number four teams so if they were number one that's a national Natty. championship well that's a round one win that's that no the but they'll the power will will carry them through to a win in the Natty. uh anyway so we're going to talk about utah utah's big basketball week too uh we're, we're also going to start that one talking about other discourse around football we'll probably something will probably happen on monday tuesday for us to talk about so tune in for that and always we have exclusive content on our patreon uh we are going to continue to do football seasons up until through the Rose Bowl, football seasons, football episodes through the Rose Bowl. And then when the Rose Bowl hits, we are taking just we're just doing some casual football episodes on Patreon every week. And I think Matt and Greg and Reed are going to take the lead on that. Uh, or Matt and Reed mostly because you they're keep not saying Greg. He, like, <laughs> Greg doesn't want to. Greg wants to talk about who. Yeah, I, I, I have the Greg meme in my head. So I just have to say Greg all the fucking time. I just I called Avery Greg this morning. <laughs> Uh, anyway, everyone's Greg. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's let's get right into Utah USC. Matthew Hubertson, I made you write a high level recap of everything that went down in that game. So, would you mind going through with it? Yeah. Um, Utah beat the absolute shit out of USC, forty seven twenty four, on the strength of a forty four to run, uh, forty four to seven run after USC went up a uh, quick 17 to three. That's like an Oregon score. I, I feel like I've seen that before. Um, Caleb Williams got hurt on the third drive of the game that seemed to significantly deteriorate throughout the second half. Riley stated in the post game that uh, Caleb popped his hamstring on his big run on that second drive. I don't know if I actually believe that though. Like I, it, the injury seemed like a lot more than a hamstring in my opinion, but um, he was significantly limited, uh, not as limited, however, as USC's defense's ability to tackle a little known fact, the, uh, biased referees propping up the, uh, national power in the PAC 12 required USC to bathe in lubricant. And it really caused problems with tackling, uh, Utah, just absolutely able to do whatever they wanted in the second half offensively. Yeah, crazy game. Uh, so let's talk about let's talk about Utah first because I think uh, that should be the story out of it because they did win. They beat the shit out of USC. I'm sure there will be many, many, many talking points for uh, around USC. But let's start with Utah and let's start with Reed on this one. Reed, what did you think of Utah in this Pac-12 title game? Was were you impressed? I was impressed. I was surprised. Definitely, I did not really see the path here until like the final hours. I had a bit of a crisis. Uh, thought maybe USC was fraudulent. Maybe we were overthinking this as Pac-12 sickos. And Utah's just like a good team. They're a top ten team playing a kind of fraudulent one in USC, and I think that showed through. I think that the wins they had, dominating Oregon State earlier in the season. 
like that showed through as this team actually can beat really good teams and control games and is just more complete than USC is. Um, it's a weird Pac-12 title, definitely. I don't think it's the same as last year's, but it's a title nonetheless. And I think the big picture takeaway for me is Utah's this conference's best team for the last half decade now. Avery, what about you? How does that make you feel, Reed? How does that make you feel to say that? To spit those words out. Um, I don't want to take anything away from Utah on this one because it was like a very, very dominant win. But I have a really hard time calling UC fraudulent because we knew their defense was bad. We knew they lived and died by their offense. And as soon as Caleb William went out, like it was very fucking clear that their defense wasn't going to keep them in the game. And if USC wanted to have a prayer to win this either they'd have to figure something out offensively or like some of us were saying like bench Caleb Williams because he was injured but Utah was super dominant they took advantage of USC's defense like I'm not gonna say Utah's offense was bad because like they took advantage of USC's defense they fucking were playing their hearts out you know as soon as USC went up I've made this joke all week, but Kyle Whittingham, that's, he had him right where he wanted him. Kyle Whittingham fucking loves that shit. Kyle Whittingham loves to be down two scores. Yeah, two touchdowns Kyle away Whittingham. from right where he wanted him. Coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kyle Whittingham went, went into the injury tent uh, and then came back out looking super refreshed. And Utah did what they like to do and just embarrass a uh, highly ranked team on national TV. Matt, I wanted to ask you because I uh, I heard you talking about it. We were at the game together. I heard you talking about it with, uh, with Greg around Utah's explosiveness. You mentioned that they don't really script explosive plays. Do you feel... I have my thoughts. It feels like they didn't, uh, but they got a ton of explosive plays. They had a 12% explosive play rate. That's in the 86th percentile. So top like 15% of all games. What did you think of Utah's explosiveness? Yeah. I, I mean, I tweeted after, I think it was like the third drive, Utah had a 0% explosive rate. Like clearly in the way that they're scripting their drives, this happened coming out of the half as well. I don't know if it's an attempt to establish the run. I don't know if it's just feeling out the offense, but very clearly until they start to get into, you know, making the appropriate adjustments and, and moving forward with the rest of the game, those explosives just aren't built in, aren't intended. I don't, I don't even really know the right way to say it. So, but I mean, there was a couple, there was two deep passes that came rising, just flat out missed that very easily could have gone for big gains as well. I was very impressed to actually see Utah getting some explosiveness in the past game with right with wide receivers, with non Dalton Kincaid players. Um, Money parks had an absolute, like had that big touchdown I think a lot of the explosiveness comes down to USC's absolute refusal to tackle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but nonetheless, I mean, I, I do think that I, I felt like the middle portion of this game for Utah was an absolute masterclass. I, I think that it was a masterclass from the players. I think that like what you saw out of Andy Ludwig in the play calling in those first, in those last two drives of the first half going into the half to tie the game was absolutely incredible. Um, I think that they did a great, great job scheming up just 10 to 15 yard plays all day long. And then they kind of figured that out. And in the second half, they started to break those for, for longer touchdowns. So um, Matt, what do you think about Morgan Scally in this game? I mean, we can, Utah's offense was really good. I thought that Utah's defense was absolutely incredible in this game. Honestly, I think that, and, and I shouldn't say absolutely incredible because there were 
absurd coverage bus. Um, RJ Hubert before that, <laughs> before the interception that basically iced the game might've been having the worst game of his entire life. Um, the coverage bus were, were really, really terrible, but what Utah was doing pre-snap both in coverage and on the fronts was I, I, I want like, I want to see every deep dive video of that from every coach explaining what was actually happening. I don't have the, I don't have the language to be able to do it. Um, Utah flat out confused USC this entire game. Anything that went well for USC came off script. Um, they did not have the ability to diagnose what Utah was doing defensively and just go out and flat out beat it. Um, they were able to get whatever they wanted against the USC offensive line who was injured and who we've talked about does not have good depth to begin with and has just not been the greatest unit. But even in the secondary, like you just, you saw a ton of things being switched up. I think it's part of what actually caused those coverage busts. Cause I think that sometimes, um, with that much confusion that's going on, obviously you confuse yourself sometimes, but yeah, I thought, I thought Morgan Scally did an incredible job in this game. Greg, what we did you think? I have on record that Matt is a supporter of Morgan Scally as a future head coach of Utah football. <laughs> Greg, what did you think? What did you think of Utah's performance, maybe their defense or offense, wherever you want to go with this one? So um, I am here to do Utah propaganda, uh, <clears throat> and that was a phenomenal game from Utah overall. I thought, like Matt said, the play calling, I fucking loved it <laughs> for the vast majority of that game. I was I was very worried in the first quarter. Like I came into this game expecting Utah to lose and lose by double digits, um, and the first quarter was looking like that was going to happen. But from the second quarter on, I just think Utah was so so much better at just like figuring out how this game was going to go than USC's coaches. Like they made some adjustments. They like everybody settled in, and USC just didn't change once Utah like figured out what they were doing and once that happened Utah was like by far the better team from the from the second quarter on like there was a 44 to 7 run at the end right uh and while yeah the Caleb Williams injury is going to have a big a big part uh like I mean that's why it was a blowout uh I don't think you can totally discredit Utah's win uh just because Caleb Williams is hurt because they were so so dominant um so I, I was I was very happy with Utah's performance, and uh, it was it was a very nice end to a season that was very frustrating for me. Yeah, I mean I I Utah this this is a I think and Reed alluded to this, and we can talk a little bit about it. This is a weird uh, Pac-12 champ. Uh, I really what Utah was doing offensively was good. It felt a lot of the time to what Matthew Bertson said that those explosive plays that they got, which I think were really critical to what they were getting had a lot to do with USC just not being able to tackle and credit to Utah players like all of them for just like continuing to fight through and shed shed those really weak arm tackles uh but it really did feel like a lot of their explosive plays came off of like something just got completely broken in uh in USC they weren't tackling. scripted no they didn't so, feel scripted well I do think we should give credit is that like those explosive plays were 20 yard plays that were scripted that USC made 40 50 yard touchdowns you know but they're still great plays like even without usc doing stupid shit which usc did and made them worse like it was still good to begin with like the thomas yasmin touchdown uh that was like the second that was play action it was like oh they fucking fooled usc like that worked yes, perfectly that's true and then it just 
it's weirdly happened a few times this year where Thomas Yasmin gets a 30-yard catch and then a safety thinks they can just sort of like hug him and it'll bring him down. <laughs> and it never works. <laughs> and so he got another long touchdown uh, off that play. Uh, but that's, I think it was a similar thing with the Money Parks, with the Money Parks, uh, touchdown. That was like a good play that USC turned into, you know, a fantastic touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's still, they still get credit for that. Even it with was USC an unsuccessful play that USC turned into a touchdown. It was third and 19. Yeah. Oh. Like, yeah. All they have to do is tackle him it wasn't where third he and caught 10. it and that, that it's a turnover. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's things like that where I was just like, I, I felt weird about it defensively. I did not thought I did not. Uh, I am not ready to give Utah credit for that defensive performance. Caleb Williams being hurt, and again, we'll move. We'll talk about that when we talk about USC. Uh, that is a huge asterisk on this defensive performance. When Caleb Williams was healthy and fine, fucking did whatever he wanted against USC. Anything he was, he looked as good as he ever had. We were all sitting there being like. This dude's unfucking believable. Like we just looked at each other and we're like, "This is fucking incredible what he's doing right now." Um, he gets hurt a few drives past where they do absolutely nothing, and even on that sort of like fourth, fifth drive, he was doing incredible shit on like one leg, right? Just like relying entirely on his ability to be to to move around on one leg in the pocket, uh, finding guys, and was able to get a few explosive plays down there uh, on the other side of that injury, and and Utah's defense. Did not look like they had much of an answer for that uh, on a on, on a uh, on an offensive line that didn't look good. So I, I I guess Utah's defensive performance they held look they held Utah to what twenty four points. Um, and I guess that's something. Uh, sorry, yeah, USC to twenty four points, and I guess that's something. USC had a ten percent explosive play rate though, um, which is top thirty percent of all games. Basically, uh, they had six point five nine yards per play, which is really good. Also in the top thirty percent of all games. So I don't know. I guess I'm just Utah's defensive performance. I have like there's something in the back, not in the back of my head, in the very front of my fucking head that makes me have a huge asterisk. Well, see, like I'm having a hard time giving Utah credit because I too could sack a quarterback who is unable to run away from me. I don't know. I thought he 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 moved well. He moved well. Even no, he didn't. For three drives in a row, he didn't fucking move. He got hit, hit, hit. I should say he moved well for an injured player, not for like a normal quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like say I was impressed. I was impressed by Caleb Williams moving while he was injured. Okay, I'm, I could have tackled. I could have tackled. Caleb Williams. Please shut the fuck up. Just shut the fuck up. All right. I don't care. I'm I'm faster than Utah's defensive line. I don't fucking care. Speaking of Utah's defensive bigger too, lineman, honestly. You mean you mean their fourth string tight end? I would like to talk about Connor O'Toole. The man who dropped the game-tying two-point conversion against San Diego State last year uh, in Cam Rising's uh, first game in 2021, uh, he was fucking incredible. I think he was in the backfield the entire night, uh, making Caleb Williams' life hell more than any other Utah player was. I was I was very impressed with him. I did not expect that when he moved positions, and I thought he was a massive part of like uh, like Matt said, Utah's defense. I think had a really good game outside of the busted coverages, which were definitely there, like when Clark Phillips fell down uh, on the massive Jordan Addison catch. Yeah, R.J. Hubert game. waves R.J. arms. R.J. Hubert all the fucking time in that interception. Uh, <laughs> I think, I, so I think that the Utah defensive evaluation is, I don't know if nuanced is the right word, because like Avery's not wrong, right? Like Caleb Williams, she's not even early on this one. Caleb Williams was was very much hampered and, 
I think that the ability for Utah to actually get home with their pressure entirely had to do with that. Um, but I do think that it's a situation where as we were looking at the way that that pressure was actually generated and again, what Utah was doing on the back end, like when it was 14 to three and USC was basically getting whatever they wanted as, as it related to explosive plays, I was turning to you guys and saying, I'm impressed with what Utah's doing defensively. <laughs> like, like even when USC, like it's such a relative game when the playing this USC offense that 24 points looked, was that the performance that Utah actually put out there? Maybe not necessarily as far as the injuries go. Um, that probably limited it that, but I still think it was a situation where Utah was doing some really impressive stuff and I, look, maybe it's 47, 42 or something like that. But, but I still think that I, I was impressed with what Utah did defensively. Reed, I want to go to you and see if you've got thoughts of what, what were you seeing as a, as someone who was not at this game, you were the only one of us watching it on TV. What did you, what did you think we got this debate here going around Utah's defense? Well, I just thought the big thing was it was almost a replay of what we saw in the first matchup here where USC again had the ball twice in Utah territory with a chance to extend the lead to three scores. And I was watching with my friend at the bar and I said, when USC went up 17, three, I said, USC choked it again. Like, yeah, that Clark Phillips break there up. goes the run. Mm, that yeah, was right. Unbelievable. That I think and was I think really game changing. That kind of speaks to me to the fact that I just feel like Utah had a different mentality in this game. Like they felt like the champion um, and like had that experience from last year and that confidence that carried over. And on the other side, I thought Carlos made a good point on Twitter for once. Um, <laughs> Get his ass. Get his ass. That this is what USC's team is without a Heisman level best player in the country at quarterback. You know, when Caleb Williams mm -hmm. is just like, he wasn't horrible last night when he was injured. He was still probably an above average Pac-12 quarterback, but when he's not that elite, elite level, USC's a eight and four, nine and three team with a lot of flaws defensively and a pretty bad offensive line. Man, I think they're six and six. Like, I, uh, I wouldn't go that far. Worse, but yeah. I wouldn't go that far, but I, I do feel like it, it does feel like to me that, uh, I, I guess I'm just going to come away with this and maybe we should transition to USC. Uh, I'm just, I cannot shake that there is a huge asterisk around this game. And I get that to Reed's point, the fact that like USC desperately needs, you know, uh, a Heisman level contending quarterback in order to be what they are. Is, it's true. But like, I don't know. It's like without Caleb Williams, there are four other with like a 50% Caleb Williams there are four other teams that I think are better than USC. And it makes me feel like, then, then USC. No, with a 50% with a Caleb Williams, I would take four other Pac-12 teams ahead of USC. Like, if I knew that Caleb Williams was going to be 50%, I'd be like, no, put someone else in. Like, I don't want to see that. Um, because we, I think we did know that he carried so much of this. So let's, let's transition to USC. Let's talk about the Trojans and how they performed in this one. Matt, what did you think about USC, about their performance, uh, about what they look like with, without Caleb Williams, all well, that? First of all, I just, I found it very interesting to see the, um, I, I don't know, social dynamic of USC fans caring about a Pac-12 championship yeah. game while Oregon fans are at home saying that they don't care and all they want is national championships. <laughs> I just, it's, it's interesting. So, a small, mi a vocal minority. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I thought that USC really came out and 
and and played their game, I guess. I, I do agree that it, this is such a weird year because I think that as you look back on it, I don't think that Utah and USC were the wrong contenders or the wrong members in this game, right? Like, I don't think anybody was cheated. I don't think we're sitting here at home being like, yeah, this Oregon State team or this Washington team or this Oregon team was definitely the best team. And, like, they just they choked it away or Bonex got hurt or whatever. I do think, though, it is interesting to just see how these teams match up because I absolutely agree. USC without Caleb Williams, I think they're a six and six team. Like I don't, I don't think they're good at all, and I don't think that if you look at them and you look at the way that Caleb Williams was able to perform in this one, I absolutely think you pick everybody except maybe Oregon State. But even Oregon State maybe is able to put up forty-seven on this defense too. I, I think that Oregon State. Oregon State almost beat this team, Matt. I mean, they only put up 14. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm, I don't know about that. But but even so, but like it just, it comes down to the matchups, right? Because I think that Utah playing like this smokes Oregon. Absolutely smokes Oregon playing like this. They obviously didn't two weeks ago, you know? So like, I, I just, I think that there is such a weird, like, I, the fact that the Pac-12 isn't around Robin and the fact that we didn't get to see Washington against this USC team, we didn't get to see Oregon against this USC team, it's really hard to look at it and be like, USC performed, I think, very similar to how they did all year. How many times have we seen them come out, put up 21 to 35 points in the first half, and then not do anything the rest of the game, even with a, a healthy Caleb Williams, right? So like, this isn't even that much of an outlier as far as the USC performance goes on the season but we're still kind of sitting here not really knowing because they didn't play everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels like there's a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, Avery, what about you? What did you think of USC's performance in this one? I think USC's defense was really fucking bad. I genuinely think this is, might be the worst defense in the PAC 12. Um, a reporter okay, asked Lincoln Arizona Riley, exists. <laughs> no, um, Arizona Dude, almost beat USC. Colorado. A reporter asked Lincoln Riley, um, if they teach the defensive players to make a play on the ball <laughs> instead of tackling. And Lincoln Riley said, I will not dignify this question with an answer, but it's a good fucking question because on that Money Parks touchdown, the reason the player didn't tackle him on the initial contact is because he was trying to make a play on the ball and then he got tackled by his own, own teammate. So it was just a resounding, terrible performance by USC's defense. But at the same time, I have a really big issue calling them fraudulent because fraudulent implies that there was deception and I was never deceived. I knew exactly how bad this USC defense was all season. We knew preseason. We knew what they were going to look like. We knew that Alex Grinch was a bad coach. Like we had been talking about how their defense was going to be a huge weakness and if that would hold them back and it didn't, they still got 11 wins. And that's why I, I don't want to call them fraudulent because we knew that they'd need a good offensive performance to win like any game for the most part. Um, like Oregon State was close, but like I have a really hard time feeling super good about this game because Caleb Williams was injured, and I don't want to take it away from Utah, but it just as a football fan, that was really fucking devastating to see Caleb Williams got injured. Um, there's still a, a conversation to be had about his him being the Heisman winner, but like the, it's just a completely different game. Like I feel very comfortable saying that it's probably a one score game if Caleb Williams doesn't get injured in the third drive because the tempo that USC had was so fast. He was getting anything he wanted. I feel like it would have been scoring back and forth the entire game. And obviously Utah's offense really hit its stride in the second half 
finding a way to just like completely dismantle this defense, but I still think USC would have been able to match blow for blow the entire game if Caleb Williams wasn't injured. Now, here's the thing about uh, about Caleb Williams being injured, and Avery and I were talking about this at the game constantly. We were yelling about it uh, for like what felt like 30 straight minutes. We never really got to see what USC would look like with like a healthy replacement level quarterback uh, in Miller Moss. They should have put in after the first drive when it was clear, when it was so clear that Caleb Williams was not moving. They should have put in Miller Moss. Uh, I I really think those three drives right there in a game where USC and Utah were going back and forth and trading blows in that kind of game, like you could not afford to have three straight, basically three and outs, right? Like Utah was just like, he's immobile. Let's throw everything at him. He's not going to move. Yeah. And he took like 10 sacks during that time. It was insane. It's an impossible situation because this is the Heisman front runner. This is an elite quarterback. This is like the best player in the conference. Like how do you bench him when he's saying that he can play? So like I understand though. why it didn't yeah. happen, but there was three drives right in a row where he got sacked three times in a row and they punted. And I don't think people understand that Miller Moss is not bad. Like obviously he's not a starting quarterback, but he would start at half of the Pac-12 schools. Like I feel fairly okay saying that he would start at most of most of those like shitty schools. Um, he is not bad. And if anything, Miller Moss, even if he's not a super mobile quarterback, he can move. He can step away yeah. from the extremely slow defensive lineman coming at you, like step out of the way of getting tackled. And that's why like those three drives, I understand not wanting to bench Caleb Williams, but they were three and outs. It's not like they were competitive. At least they could have gotten like attempted a first down. There was no adjustments that tried to be made. But like at the same time, I understand because – how are you going to tell your Heisman quarterback to sit this one out if he's telling you he can play? Yeah, so uh, for me, <clears throat> the biggest reason, not the biggest reason, the Williams reason, Williams injury is obviously the biggest reason, but like the reason it was such a dominant Utah performance from the second quarter on outside of Williams' injury was I thought USC got outcoached just by a massive margin. I did not think there was mm-hmm. any desire to... Uh, to, to change things up, to take advantage of Utah's weaknesses from USC on either side of the ball, especially defensively. Alex Grinch is a fucking terrible coach, and the fact that he's still yeah. employed is yes. baffling. <laughs> uh, he's been terrible, and he will continue to be terrible because he's just not good. Uh, and Lincoln Riley, he is a great coach overall. He is a great coach. He's a great play caller. He has a great scheme, and he is the best in the conference right now, I think, at talent acquisition. Which is very important, and overall, that Reed's, I saw. Coach. I know, I was looking for Reed's face, and he raised his eyebrows. He's already ready to go. But um, go ahead, Greg. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but he has his flaws, and he loses games like this. He lost them at Oklahoma, and he lost two of them to Utah. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, like in the second half of the first Utah game, I thought Utah adjusted. Utah started blitzing more so that they could actually get a rush on USC. And USC didn't change. Like, they just kept doing the same shit. And because of that, Utah got the stops they needed in that game. And in this game, a similar thing happened, although it's much harder to adjust for a quarterback who can't move, of course. Like Avery said, it's a very hard situation. It shouldn't be with those wide receivers. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Is like, you can scheme ways to get them the ball. USC has a bottom four offensive line in this conference. If your quarterback can't move... I don't think it matters how good your receivers you are. You can scheme if he ways to get them the ball. Less like than can, a half a second. Yeah. 
get I know get your elite players with the best athleticism on the field. Get there them weren't the ball. any adjustments made. And I think it's like totally fine to be a coach that has flaws, a head coach that has flaws, but that's why you get a bajillion coordinators and assistants to make up for your flaws. Mm-hmm. And you don't you shouldn't hire a guy like Alex fucking Grinch who can't coach anything. I could coach better than him and I don't know ball. So Yeah. No, so bad. No, so like Reed, you're an actual college football fan, unlike these other bozos. Shut the fuck up. Um <laughs> I have we ever seen Lincoln Riley A be successful with a backup quarterback and B like, I'm trying to think about Lincoln Riley. Caleb Williams and- was a backup quarterback, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the, I watch ball, but like, is there, but the other thing I can't think of, like, I, I can't think of a number one wide receiver that's come out of the Lincoln Riley offense. Like I can't, I CD lamb, Mark, Mark, uh, Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood Brown. Uh, yeah. and then, uh, Marvin Mims. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Addison, Mario Williams. <laughs> no, like, I, I, feel like, I feel like there's something about this offense that is more quarterback driven. And when you talk yeah, about like yeah. actually putting in a, a backup quarterback, it's maybe not as schemed up and not as easy for quarterbacks and obviously is meant to showcase them a lot more. And I think that may have something to do with like not with the decision to not put Miller Moss in. Reed, what did you think yeah, of your thoughts? You, you cannot bench Caleb Williams. I'm not even entertaining the conversation. Reed, he couldn't fucking <laughs> move. ridiculous. Reed, he no. couldn't fucking move. All right, Reed, let's hear from Reed. Let's hear from Reed. Reed, go, go ahead. Miller Moss's, I pulled it up on 247. Miller Moss's comp is Kirk Cousins. He can't move either. <laughs> Kirk Cousins is in the NFL. $300 million man right there. Are you kidding me? Okay, 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 okay. I don't think Both you understand what move. backup USC quarterbacks have done to Utah football <laughs> yeah. in the past. I, I, still remember, I still remember what Matt fucking Fink did to Utah in 2019. Matt Kyle Whittingham, I was, Kyle Whittingham I was would have pissed his pants if Miller Moss went in. <laughs> I was terrified that USC was going to put in Miller Moss and I'm a big believer in coaches doing what makes the opposing fans scared and I was so scared that we were going to lose the biggest advantage we had in that game which was that we could blitz a statue at quarterback yeah if anything like give him a drive as a break right like what's the harm in doing that just let him have let him sit out one drive see what happens but he's he's uh, the Heisman (laughs) he's the Heisman uh, he's a better runner than Cam Newton I was told but I do think I do think I do think that it's incumbent upon Lincoln Riley to just like be the head coach of this uh, uh, of this team and say like look you're not 50% right now we can't risk you going out there for in, to to hurt yourself more it's not like you're hurt you're hurt you cannot go right now I know you think you can go I really appreciate the fact that you're like that you want to go out there and put on for your team but like you can't go um, and and it seems like the rest of the team knew that yeah. Right. Yeah, like I, I truly believe that that had an impact on the yes. defensive performance. Yeah. You, you talked about they quit. Like you, you two talked about that. Utah's UCUSC's defense just felt like it quit. And I don't know. We've seen, you're right. The first half, like it felt like the three, mm-hmm. the three, three and outs that came out of halftime for the USC offense. It felt like that is what broke them. Yeah. Like the second that defense didn't feel like the offense was going to be able to keep up. Because even it, I think the defense it was what a three and out, four and out on on for Utah out of the half too. Like, yeah, I, I don't is know. it even a bad strategy to try to make a play on the ball if you know your offense isn't going to do shit? I, right. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> it might have been a good call. 
it's worked for them in this season multiple times where they just get stupid turnovers and then it helps. But they still not, got not a yesterday. fucking stupid turnover when Jalen Dixon just dropped the ball for no reason. <laughs> Reed, what were you going to say? I think this is just USC's defense. Like in the UCLA game, they didn't quit and they still gave up 45 points. Like they, they've given up points to everyone this year. They're just not good. Whether they're quitting or not, it's just not a good defense. That is true. Yeah. I think that you at UCLA was scoring points all season though. And I think what we've seen out of the Utah offense in the last four weeks is this is a little bit more of an hour. This is blue yeah. collar versus NIL. Lincoln Riley was <laughs> not prepared for how many lunch pails Utah had. <laughs> uh, yeah. We talk a lot about the we talk a lot about the blue chip ratio, but not the shoulder chip ratio. Yes. And that's a huge factor in this game. It's a really good tweet. I, I have a question for you guys and this might shift it in another way, but a lot of the national media is going to go from this game and say, if Utah wins your power five conference, that means that you're not legitimate. You know, this Utah team is essentially a glorified group of five teams still. Like if they win the conference, that means you're not at this level. What do you guys think of that talking I point? I agree with that. They were in the Mountain West just barely. We talked about this last night, actually, right? And I think Avery was like, and Avery brought this up, that uh, – it, it, it's, it looks bad when Utah is your Pac-12 conference champ, I, I think. And uh, we'll see three if three losses, I, specifically. I, yeah, three I, losses. we'll see if Greg and Matt agree. I, I think that the fact that Utah did it again in a more competitive Pac-12 validates Utah more and validates them for last season more than I think this hurting the Pac-12 and saying, well, Utah won the Pac-12. The fact that they did it back-to-back and did it against a playoff contending USC team, did it against a a field of six ranked Pac-12 teams, played like four of them. Like, I think that validates Utah a little bit more as a program. Um, Yeah. Matt did did it without losing to a San Diego State and a BYU. Did lose to a bad Florida, though. Sure, but I... Uh, again, I still think that there's way more context into that. I Okay, so first of all, I actually haven't heard that from many national writers. Like, I think that there is genuine respect. The other thing that I actually think is helping Utah a lot with this is TCU. I, I think that the fact that TCU is doing the exact same thing in the Big 12 in a conference that many people would argue is like top to bottom of the best conference this season. Like every single team in that conference is a top 40 team. There's only two top 25 teams, but like nonetheless, I, the, the, I think that TCU's performance, and I think that we are just kind of seeing that maybe, just maybe, the margins between the 50th team and the fifth team really aren't actually that big. There's still a huge gap to top one, two, three teams and in, in programs in college football, but I, I don't, I think that it is, it is very much so accepted that Utah has now had damn near three recruiting cycles in the Pac-12 and that it is it is reasonable for them to be here. Yeah, I totally agree. I have not seen a single national person saying, oh, this is terrible for the Pac-12 that Utah won it. Like there's the the Pac-12, Pac-12 itself. They don't have a they don't have a playoff team again. But I don't see anything that's like it's bad that Utah won. The only thing I'm saying about Utah is just like Kyle Whittingham is a top five coach. Uh, he's he's incredible. Blah, 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 I- blah. Like, to be quite honest with you, I think USC coming in with the strategy that they did 
uh, in like Lincoln Riley's first year, completely turning over the offense and the defense as bad as it was. If USC runs the Pac-12 this year, I think that's a worse look in the Pac-12 than Utah winning this at nine and three. I don't know. Avery, what do you think? What do you think about Reed's question here? Is it a black mark? You kind of alluded to it already. I think that no three loss team should be a P5 conference championship champion just because I'm an elitist. But um, <laughs> I, my thing with Utah is like, I think it was okay that it happened last year because the Pac-12 was historically bad last year. Like statistically, they were historically bad. And this year there was six teams that were consistently in the top 25. There was four teams that have been hanging around top 15 or lower. Um, and honestly, like it could have gone any way with who ended up in the conference championship, especially with Oregon losing to Oregon state. But it, I feel like it does. I feel like just like any year when the PAC 12 doesn't put a team in the playoff, it hurts the PAC 12's image. It just makes people, and maybe it doesn't matter. Cause it's just narratives that people use to sh- talk shit about the P five rankings, but like consistently not making the playoffs is a bad look. I don't care. I don't care if it's. I don't care if it's not just Utah's fault. I don't care. Like you should be putting a team in the playoffs if you're a power five conference and the PAC 12 hasn't done it since 2016. And I think that's embarrassing. Wouldn't it be a worse look if the only time you can put a team in the playoff, it's a team that's leaving in two years and everybody fucking knows it. Like (laughs) it depends on if you believe, if you believe the line that in order for the PAC 12 to be good, USC needs to be good. I mean, in order for the PAC 12 to be, as relevant as possible, USC needs to be good. That's inarguably true. But uh, I don't think it's a bad look because I don't think USC is good because they're going to the Big Ten. I think they were good before the news broke that they were going to the Big Ten. No, yeah, they were good before that. But the problem is it's just like, oh, USC's finally back and they're leaving the Pac-12. Like the Pac-12 champion is leaving. Like that's just a bad look. I'm just like not a bitter little angry gremlin that's mad at USC for losing. I (laughs) I am am a bitter little angry. I'm mad they're leaving, but uh, I'm also very happy they got their fucking asses kicked on national television. (laughs) And I got to watch it. Uh, Run away, you little babies. Um, I'm very excited. I would be I would be happier. Okay, I've been saying this for like multiple weeks that I knew the Pac-12 wouldn't put a playoff team in. Remember, I said it. Utah's losing to Notre Dame. Or you said UW was going to the playoff game. last year. <laughs> you did. I say a lot of things <laughs> that I don't mean, and that was one of them. But I meant this because yes, yes. I knew the Pac-12 wouldn't get a playoff team in. It's not going to happen because God hates us. Um, and it's fine. I don't need to watch the playoffs, but... I, I'm not like bitter against USC for lo- leaving the conference, so I don't like root against them. My issue is I would have been fine if they got their asses kicked by Utah if Caleb Williams was healthy because now I'm just sitting here upset that I had to watch Caleb Williams stand in the backfield getting pounded when he is one of the best players in college football. So let me ask, let me ask this question. Let me ask this question. Let me ask it to Matt and then to Reed. Is, is Utah the best team in the Pac-12, Matt? <laughs> Yes, but I've been saying that for two weeks. Okay, all right. Reed, is, you kind of alluded to this uh, I, when you first started your opening remarks here. Is Utah the best team in the Pac-12? I still don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, to me, this feels kind of like the COVID season, actually. Okay, shut the uh, fuck and, up. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> no, okay, but no, I think no, there's no. a good point here. Reed, no, go ahead. I think well, you know where you're going with don't, this. Don't encourage him. Yeah. I mean, one, Utah didn't win their division either. Um, <laughs> but, but, oh, and then and then the USC opponent is hyped up, but we feel, felt like we have a lack of data on them, kind of, just like we did during COVID. Um, 
and yet, you know, Utah shows up in this championship game and just gets it done uh, in a weird way. And we leave saying, I guess they're the champ. Um, I don't know. I would be fascinated to see Utah play Washington. I would be fascinated mm-hmm. to see Utah playing well, play the Oregon team from like week 10. With like a know? healthy Bo Nix, yeah. With a healthy Bo Nix. Yeah, with a healthy yeah. Bo Nix. Oregon um, versus USC but, would be incredible. Yes. Yeah. Like I want to see yeah. what the Oregon defense looks like. And Washington USC. Like we still don't know. I, I have been laughing all week at the idea that preseason when they announced that division, it wouldn't be a winner from each division in the conference championship. We all celebrated. I specifically celebrated. I was excited as fuck. You guys slandered and then the I wanted, it was bad for Utah wasn't bad for Utah. It's literally the only reason Utah won the You were wrong. That's true. You're right. I was a fucking moron. Because it would have been luck. You were wrong too, on Greg. happiness. Uh, I'm saying stupid shit. <laughs> I, I celebrated when this news came out because I was like, finally, at last, we will have a situation where we have the two best teams in the conference championship game. And UW lost to ASU, and that is fucking embarrassing, and there's no excuse for that, and they deserve to rot in hell. I agree, I agree. But, like, they kind of got snubbed a little bit because of this rule that happened preseason. And I'm not saying Utah isn't the best team in the conference because I don't think you can definitively say that after what happened last night. Um, But it is interesting that, like, there is a conversation around, like, well, UW, like, kind of got fucked over, and they're on the sidelines just, like, hanging out, hoping for the Cotton Bowl, but... Okay, I I just have to go on a quick rant here. UW has turned into a very good team, but, like, they fucked up for for such a long portion of this season. They lost to Arizona State. They almost lost to Cal in Arizona. They probably should have lost to Oregon State arguably should have lost to Oregon like UW right now yes for the conference like if you could put them in the Rose Bowl I think they'd have a good shot at winning it and that's awesome for them but they did not put together the body of work this season that I'm gonna like feel no, so I, bad for them that they got I agree. robbed or anything as a person who like thinks th- my eye test specifically for my eyes is the most important thing that only <laughs> should be taken into account ever um, I agree that UW looked like shit a lot of this season. I'm just saying, like, on the rules of the conference that it's historically been since the Pac-12 formed, like, it's division champions play each other. Right. So that's what I mean by saying UW got snubbed. And also, I think UW versus um, USC would be a much more fun game. But I also didn't take into account that Caleb Williams would get injured and then stand there like a statue. I mean, I want to see UW against... I want to see UW against Utah. Like, I, I feel yeah. like... I don't know. I, I there, there's this really of all the Pac-12 games and Pac-12 title games that I've watched, this is the most unresolved and unsatisfying I've ever felt about a Pac-12 championship. Like ever. Like I cannot remember after last year. It was like, look, Utah beat the shit out of Oregon. This is a dog shit conference. But like Utah beat the shit out of Oregon twice. Utah got its shit together and they won the conference. There's no doubt they are the best team in the Pac-12. 2020 maybe, but whatever. 2019. There was no team that I was mad that like didn't get a play you right. to prove themselves. Right. Like that has not happened. I cannot think of the last maybe 2016 USC, but like 2016 UW was a playoff team. Uh they only lost to USC and, and got and ran through everyone else. But like this is the first year where I'm like, 
I don't know. I just don't know. And I do have this lingering thought about UW because UW ha- does have an elite offensive line, a really, really good offensive line um, the way that USC does not. They also have as as good of a receiving core as USC does. Their quarterback is like maybe a step below, but Penix is awesome. Um, I think he's really good. Their defense is maybe similarly bad. Their pass rush might be just as good, UW's, but like... I, it makes me think like, man, I really wish this is like a year where we like, I don't know. I kind of wish we just did have a playoff, but UW against, I don't know, Oregon for one more shot at, to see who plays Utah. Like, I really wish we had one more game here. UW, UW versus Utah would have been a more exciting game than USC versus Utah simply because UW has an offensive line. So in the reality where Michael Penix is unable to run away, he could still throw the ball because Michael Penix is not mobile. Michael Penix, uh, would not have gotten injured against Utah, more likely than not. So I think for that reason, like it would have been a more exciting game. Yeah, I. I it is so hard. I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong, but like I have a really hard time entertaining the UW conversation when they didn't play either of the two teams in the championship game. That's I, not their I, fault. I understand that's not their fault, and I understand that's part of the argument, quite literally, is that, like... Yeah, they did it. Yeah, yeah. You have the ability (laughs) to say that, but at the same time, I'm also like, right, but Oregon did and beat the one that they played, right? Like, Oregon is 1-0 against these two teams. Um, And that game didn't fucking matter. Oregon State, as much as we love Oregon State, is 0-2 against these teams. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So there's aspects of the conversation of, like, did we actually... Listen, Utah lost 20 to 17 against Oregon. If Utah wins that game, how do we feel about this this matchup again? Better. Because yeah. that's what we came into the season expecting. Yeah, better. I think the biggest issue with getting rid of the division champions rules is that these teams were still playing a division schedule in the world, which I think is what they're planning on doing in the future where they don't play a division schedule. I think it makes sense to put the two best teams in. But when they're playing a division schedule where Utah misses two south teams the two best south teams it it just it leaves open like it open-ended where you can have those conversations about what if what could have happened if and that's why i think it was premature for them to change this rule before changing how the scheduling works but would you do like flex scheduling then because you're always going to have that you're always going to miss a good team when there's a yeah but if it's if it's flex scheduling you're still getting like equal amounts from each division I do think the flex scheduling thing we saw it with COVID. We we are capable of scheduling shit with like a week's notice. Like I I I really do like the idea of I'd even just be like go down to like I don't know, eight conference games or seven conference games and then do like the four best teams play each other over the course of two weeks. I, I don't know. Like I think that would be way yeah, more who are the four best teams in the conference. <sighs> it, you, I mean, Utah, <laughs> USC. getting left out, right? Yeah, like, yeah Washington, and yeah, you got to leave out one of Oregon, Oregon State, really. I think UCLA definitively beat Utah. They did, and UW. Yep. I think Utah yeah. would get left out in that conversation, actually, because Utah Utah lost to Oregon and UCLA. I mean, if yeah, we just USC had new tiebreakers. These game. tiebreakers were insane. Yeah. Uh, a fucking insane set of tiebreakers, but... Um, okay. Well, that was that was the game. We went to the we went to the. I want to talk a little bit about the game environment because I think that was like such a. We talked about it considerably, and I think it's something that kind of came up uh, on Twitter. The Pac-12 title game environment. I, 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 the four of us were there: Greg, me, Matt, and Avery. 
But I'm curious, Reed, you can start us off with this one. What did it look like on TV? Like, what did the what did the crowd look like? Did it? What did you What did you think of the environment? It looks weird. I've never been there, so I I can't say exactly. It looks kind of weird. I don't know why we're doing this thing in Vegas, but I guess interesting. Like, the gambling's there. I don't. I mean, it just doesn't feel like super Pac-12 y to me. Uh, neither did wherever the hell it was before. Santa Clara felt Santa very Clara. Pac-12-y yeah, that's to right. me in a way that I do not like. In the, it felt like a, the exact the thing we're trying Stanford. to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a good symbol of the Larry Scott era, I suppose. But I don't know. I'd do this thing in the Rose Bowl or something. Like I think, I think the I reason it works for the Pac-12 is because, one, it's super accessible. You can get to Las Vegas from, like, any major city in the West, which is super great, whereas with Santa Clara, it's, like, very weirdly hard to get there. Um, it's hard to find a place to stay. And there's also just a lot to do in Vegas. So from, like, a fan standpoint, I think it's a lot more fun to be in Vegas. I fucking hate that stadium. I'd be fine if it burned to the ground, personally. <laughs> See, I'm biased because two of my happiest memories ever now have taken place <laughs> in that stadium. Begging uh, you to touch grass. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I really like playing in Vegas. I think it's a great – it's like everybody has fun in Vegas – um, and then the game in that stadium, the nice thing about playing there is while it is a cramped environment, just because the concourses are really small and the dome, everything fucking echoes, it makes for a really fucking loud environment. And I felt the energy the entire game and I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah. I think the energy of that, uh, of that crowd was unreal. Like it was, I, I, I get what you're saying, Reed, but it was like, Utah and USC fans, it felt like it was 50 50, uh, and they were they were loud. It felt like I it felt like a USC and a Utah home game at the same time. At first, it looked like a USC home game, and then Utah fans started filing in, and I was like, "Oh shit, this is like this place is off the fucking hook. It's insane." I don't know, Matt. What did you think in the environment? We yeah, there. so this was my first time, right? Like you guys all went last year. I um. So the stadium's gorgeous, honestly. The NFL stadium, though, where the seats go so vertical so quickly instead of like that Rose Bowl vibe where you're on a slight like 10 degree incline, <laughs> um, A, leads to a lot less standing, which I found very interesting. Like as you looked around the stadium, pretty much everybody was sitting because even if somebody stands in front of you, you can kind of still see. <laughs> like it's, it's not that big of a deal. You can still sit. So I think that that does impact the environment a little bit. However... So I am very much team conference championship game should be at home. Like use the home stadiums. That's what's beautiful about college football. Like use those environments a hundred percent of the time. However, in a neutral site, in a championship, like in a spot where you can get a 50, 50 crowd, I actually thought the dome was incredible. I thought that the way that it was able to like increase the noise level and make 30,000 people feel like 60,000 people still shouting. I thought was really, really great and, and was nice. I thought that it was awesome. Like, I think that last year you looked at it and it was like, this is definitely a Utah home game. So even when Oregon was able to do things well, it just, it felt like you transplanted the Utah environment to Vegas and it, it didn't hit right. Like it, like as if it was hit rice Eccles. I think that this was nice where at every moment there was insane yelling and I thought that that was really good and, and really important. I, the one moment especially that I was like, oh, this is this is sick. This is really, really cool. 
um, was when Cam Rising got murdered. Like the in when you had that many fans in the stadium all making the same noise that was so like I've tweeted the video. Watch it with your eyes closed. Like it was amazing to like have that one unison voice that then echoed and reverberated that I do think was really cool. So the stadium sucks. The bathrooms are terrible. I've never had to wait in a line for a bathroom ever at any stadium, anywhere, ever, ever, anywhere. And somehow there's lines here. that was incredible. Um, and, and so there's aspects of that that like definitely suck about the stadium. The headache that you leave that place with is miserable. Um, but I thought, I mean, I thought it was a really, really cool, really fun environment, like huge props to the Utah fans being able to make it on like four days notice and filling out like their half of it. It's nice to see like the USC fans actually be passionate about it and not doing the we'll save for the playoff bullshit. Like they showed up, they were very passionate. Like I, I thought that was nice. So I, it was awesome. It was such a fun game. It was. It was. Inc- it was. It was really cool to see both fan bases like really into it. You're right. The concourse. Avery always talks about the concourse. The concourse sucks. Like it just. It's small and it makes it really hard to walk through. Like at halftime, if you're gonna go out there, like it's gonna be uh, absolutely brutal. Felt like we were gonna get trampled on like the fucking escalators. Uh, and like also in the bathroom, this is very. <laughs> we're getting into like really detailed bathroom analysis yeah, now. Yeah, no, my skin was scribbled. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, my wife's scribble also has a lot to say about the bathrooms, but like the floor is like very smooth. And so if there's any moisture whatsoever, it's just very fucking slippery. And that's like in the bathrooms. It's like, I'm going to fucking slip just if someone like rinsed their hands and it's like drying and it's dripping everywhere. I don't know. I'd like very detailed thoughts. I don't, I don't expect, I don't expect anything, anything less from Raiders. (laughs) (laughs) That organization should be burned and destroyed. (laughs) And their stadium is evidence of that. Who's your NFL team again, Avery? I am a Denver Broncos yeah, fan. There it is. No, no, we said <laughs> NFL. Sad and frustrating. <laughs> we said professional football league. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I that was a uh, it was a fun environment. I think it's like the home campus thing. I totally get it. But like, I don't know. Like when Stanford hosted it in like from 2012, 2013, 2015, like. I don't know. Kind of was shitty. Those were shitty. Okay, but if Utah was playing Stanford, it would have been filled with Utah fans. That was the issue. Was I don't know that it would have. Teams. I don't think it would have. That's basically a Santa Clara thing. You have the Stanford season ticket holders who are just going to take up the empty seats, and then you have. It's just very difficult to get to. Palo it's a Santa Clara yeah. thing. Uh, that's what I think it is. Like I just don't think they would have showed out to, to. Okay, let's just not. Let's just do it at home stadiums that have good turnout. Everyone but Stanford. Stanford's not going to make it for a while at the very least, so we don't have to worry about that. But I think we should keep playing it here, and I think it it works perfectly. Yeah, yeah, I think it. it I, think I also it one thing I really like about it is the hype leading up to the game is so much more because the fans are. For, interacting with each other mm-hmm. yeah like they're all together they're all on the las vegas strip like the entire like weekend leading up to it that's where they are and, and i think that makes it do on saturday and after the game and so just walk the pier. yeah and a place like- <laughs> a place to watch the other championship games like i think i think vegas is set up really nicely to do that yeah uh do we think this means that unlv is going to get a pac-12 invite then <laughs> Nah, fuck off. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they want. I don't think they want a team where the game is hosted. 
at least I think it I think it feels better not to have a team. Oh, well, I think it'll be funny if UNLV does join and Utah wins Pac-12 championships and Utah can talk shit to the UNLV fans. Oh, UNLV is Utah New South. <laughs> Salt well, Lake Utah City says, South. Utah says, has been saying right cycle South for like three different teams. <laughs> <laughs> Utah's looking for a rival, and I feel like UNLV is an awesome option. The programs are like very similar. To me, I think they're they're on equal footing. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, anything else about this game? This has been a, this is an incredible game. Utah comes out with another Rose Bowl. Are you all going to go to it? Are you going to go to the Rose Bowl? I don't think so. No, uh, I'm I'm happy to watch this one on TV. I think uh, I'm really excited to watch it on TV. Uh, I think it'll look really cool there. Not as good as it did in the stadium. That was a once in a lifetime experience. I think. But uh, why not? Too I don't want to interact. I don't want to interact with Utah fans, let alone Penn State fans. So uh, I will not pass it on fans, this one. Yeah. But hey, maybe Purdue. Maybe Purdue pulls up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we were talking about this. Utah-Purdue would be the least watched Rose Bowl ever. I don't give ever. a fuck. Give me that trophy. Give me that trophy now. That's like Utah Pitt in the, what was that? F- the, the Fiesta Bowl? Bowl? Fiesta Phenomenal. Bowl. I still am glad that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Give me bad teams in New York Six games. I will beat the shit out of them happily. Greg is on Utah's team. <laughs> yes. I, I am. He could be, yeah. I want to talk quickly about like the reevaluation of Utah as a program. Obviously, like with I don't think Utah's anywhere close to USC. I'm I'm not trying to say that, but USC and UCLA are leaving this conference. Utah has now made four conference championships in a row. We're skipping the COVID season. Yes. None of that counts. Yes. And they have won two of them, the two most recent, against two of the better teams out of the four that they played. I don't I don't know what you would call that. I I think that this win is important at solidifying because I think that prior to this season. It was very easy to talk about congratulations, Utah. You've made the conference championship when USC was literally shooting itself up the asshole. Like <laughs> the I, I think that USC now being quote unquote back, whatever you want to call this season for them, I think that this is important and and something that Utah can like legitimizes the last four years a lot more than I think it actually was prior. Here's why I don't care to have this conversation. Morgan Scally is the future head coach of Utah and he's going <laughs> to drive that program into the fucking ground. Yeah. So let's just save our breaths and... No, I'm going to talk about... You know we have to talk about everything. <laughs> you you think you're going to stop the discourse. The discourse is going. No, I think I think that there is a real... Like I said, Utah winning this Pac-12 championship game in this season validated what they did in 2021. Like it almost gave them more credit for 2021 in addition to giving them credit for 2022 when like the Pac-12 was good. Like we're not saying, I think last year was like, that was the worst Pac-12 season in history in 2021. And Utah did it with a really stacked field with some really good teams. And frankly, like they did it despite some insane injury luck. They did it despite like, real internal drama that we will never know with Tavion Thomas, like being the best Pac-12 running back coming into it. And then like, we'll know fucking, (laughs) yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe we will fucking (laughs) quitting on the team or getting into fights with coaches, all that stuff. He hurt his toe, Carlos. It was a toe injury. We all know it was a toe injury. Please be There's nothing more to it. (laughs) This is a capital J journalism podcast. But they, but they got to do it again. I think, I think they have to go one more time to just sort of say like, if they don't make the Pac-12 championship, 
championship game next year. And like, there's a lot of momentum. They've I think. been to four straight, not counting the COVID year. It's just hard for any program to sustain. I, I, I guess that's true. But for Utah to continue to grow as a program, and for them, and for us to feel like, yeah, Utah's going to be, it's going to be, or it's going to be UW, Oregon, and Utah to like buoy the Pac-12. I think they got to go to one of the next three for that. It doesn't have to be next year. But I do think that uh, I I don't know. It's like it's. I'm not saying that they are like a, as a program aren't there yet or whatever. Like. But I think it's going to do something for them much more long term if they can do it again while USC and UCLA are in the conference. And I think they're in a pretty good cool. position with the with UCLA and USC leaving because now they're they actually like have less competition. I feel good about these about Oregon, Washington, and Utah being like top fifteen programs at the same time if they're doing things right. Once USC and UCLA leave, I don't really see why Utah has to make it next year. I think the bigger thing for me is. This conference in general and Utah specifically being in the Rose Bowl needs to start getting non-conference results. The loss versus Florida is like what discredits this conference more than anything this season. And I understand the context. Believe me, I hear you. But from a narrative's perspective, nationally, it fucking sucks for what people think of the Pac-12. Utah gets Florida next to open next season. They play at Baylor. They have a really hard conference schedule. They play at Washington, at Oregon State, at USC, and also play Oregon and UCLA at home next year. That's tough. That's tough. That's such a hard schedule. That's exactly where I wanted to go with it, Reed, because like I think that when you look at like okay, how have we viewed the Big Ten and the Big Twelve the last several years? It's the Big Twelve is Oklahoma, Texas, and a bunch of dog shit teams. Whereas the Big Ten, it's 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 Ohio State, Michigan, clearly, but then you have Penn State that is very consistently can be that third best team. Wisconsin can reach up, Michigan State can reach up. Teams like that can can still be involved and still be nationally relevant programs. And I think that as you look at the future of the Pac-12, I don't think there's any question that Oregon and Washington can. I think they have they absolutely have the capacity to be a top two teams of a power league. I don't think that's where the actual problem is. I think the problem lies in who's your three, who's your four, and do you just turn into a Big 12 light at that point in an Oklahoma, Texas Big 12? And I think that Oregon State can absolutely be like a Michigan State where they can reach up every couple of years. I think that for the Pac-12's future, I think that if Utah can be a Penn State-type program – Mostly just on the field, I I realize yeah, there may or may not be some <laughs> may. I mean, it's um, not a may that it happened. Yeah. So, <laughs> but like, obviously, we don't want that part of it. But I do think that that having a viable third legitimate power is is extremely important for the yeah. viability of the future of the conference. And if Utah's able to maintain this, that's a big deal. Greg, last word on this one. Um, yeah, I think that both of them making a lot of sense. I totally agree with Reed that the, like, as Matt said, you know, there were things going on, like Utah maybe still should have beaten Florida, even like they played well enough to win, but the fact that they lost is what everyone remembers. And it was not a good Florida team. And that is just not a good look when your conference champion is losing to a six and six, six and six. I thought that Anthony Richardson was elite Uh, anthony richardson was was elite in that game and you know what happened when caleb williams played utah he didn't play as well as anthony richardson so my narrative never wrong just early never wrong just early all right uh i was right i think i was right and you should feel bad 
Hello, and welcome to part two of our episode. We recorded uh, immediately after, well, I guess the day after the Pac-12 championship game where Utah completely demolished USC, but we decided to save part two for after Selection Sunday so we can update um, on where the Pac-12 stands with the CFP rankings and the bowl schedule. But we wanted to start off with some breaking news. Deion Sanders is officially Colorado's coach. <laughs> officially? How does how does this make you guys feel? Uh, well, hopefully it's officially because we have a tweet from Brian Howell who covers the team. <laughs> His tweet says, Colorado AD Rick George was asked how CU came up with the money to hire Deion Sanders. He said, quote, we don't have the money yet, but I know we'll have it, so I'm not worried about that piece, which is... Uh, <laughs> That's insane. That's a fucking insane thing to tell tell someone. They spent all their money on that photo shoot and videography thing that they did right when he got on campus of him just like walking around Folsom Field with no one there. Um, but f- super fucking cool. Last night, I was like hit with an insane amount of jealousy, <laughs> which is insane because Colorado should have gone 0-12 this year. Um absolutely insane that i'm jealous of colorado but he's just so fucking cool and the way the colorado fans were just celebrating was really cool and i'm super happy for them and i'm really excited for what this means for the conference even if he's not here long term colorado has like a decent history in football actually i don't know what their fan base where their expectations are right now but it's kind of a weird hire. Like I think Matt has said it a few times that it doesn't really make perfect sense. But for me, I just think, you know, Colorado, at least, even if this goes bad, they get an injection of energy into their program and probably an upgrade of their talent. Uh, And for Dion, he gets a power five job. Like it doesn't seem like a perfect fit, um, but cool. And you know, I, I think that it probably won't go bad for either side compared to where Colorado was. Yeah, I will say Colorado fans for a fan base that has experienced two of the worst seasons that I've ever seen of football. Um, they're like pretty bought in still, yeah. even before this hire was announced. Like I've been impressed with their turnout. They get like a ton of people out to their games like they had almost I don't know, like a decently full stadium when they beat Cal and they rushed the field and it was cool. But I feel like this energy that's going to happen because of this Deion Sanders hire is huge and it keeps people focused on football and it gets them excited and no one is really angry about this hire, which is kind of fucking cool to see because there's usually always people that are like fucking pissed but I haven't seen any of that. I'm sure there are, but they're, they're very, they're probably in a small, small minority. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I I get Matt's concerns around the fit. Uh, I think more so it's like, why would Deion Sanders do this more than like, why would Colorado do this? Colorado's in the position where they've been like, to your point, Avery, I mean, they are definitively without a doubt, the worst program in the PAC 12 since expansion, like since the alignment, right? Like, no doubt they have consistently had the worst record. They've been the most moribund program. Yes, they had 2016 when they like won the Pac-12 South, but like they were pretty fraudulent and that ended up getting borne out when they lost to UW in the Pac-12 title game and then lost to like, I think it was Texas and the Alamo, like by a lot. Like that yeah. was, the, and that was the highlight of their time in the Pac-12. They have been nothing close to competent. 
So like, you know, it, it's like, yeah, like do something weird, do something kind of crazy, do something unconventional. And Deion Sanders is all of those things. Um, you know, he's done well at Jackson State. Like we talked about that. So totally, it totally makes sense uh, for 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 Colorado. Deion Sanders, I don't know. I, what I'm still trying to figure out is how much of Deion Sanders and how much of uh, like this move for him is about Colorado being a stepping stone. How much of it is about trying to find a better job? Does he just think Colorado is a space where he can do wherever he wants? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure what Deion Sanders wants. He's like a really weird, hard college football coach to get a pulse on. Well, he's like said as much. What were the quotes? He said like in college football, you never like just stay somewhere. You're either getting fired or you're going to like leave for yourself, basically. Um so I think that's kind of his philosophy. I th- I'm sure he views it as a stepping stone, not a final destination. Mm. But still, like if he's there for two or three years and has success, that's great. I think we should talk about the moment from the press conference where he points to his son and says, this is your quarterback now. Pretty funny. He's pretty good, though. His son's been pretty good, at least at that level. Like, Well, the bar's on the floor at Colorado, right. so yeah. <laughs> he can't be bad. <laughs> Yeah, I tweeted something like, uh, oh, my God, he's doing nepotism or something like that. Uh, And someone tweeted me, see, let me see if I could find the exact um, the exact tweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like he I was like, this is like, you know, nepotism, whatever. And someone tweeted me. This nepotism is disgusting, and that is why Colorado should continue to play Owen McCown. It's like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> like, I guess okay, we can do okay, some nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was who cares a bizarre. What happens? As yeah. long as it works, <laughs> yeah, it was a bizarre Why moment. Why does it matter? Bizarre moment, but I don't know. I mean, like success for him if he does leave in two to three years. Like, just get a get a bunch of talent at Colorado. I, I'm like not even sure I care that he goes if he goes like three and nine, four and eight every single year. If the talent level dramatically improves to being like kind of where Arizona is or like where Arizona State is currently, like you get mm-hmm. them to that level, then like he either leaves or he gets fired, and like then you get a guy who has some talent to work with, like anything to do to build up that roster over the next couple of years. I think that Colorado was at a lower spot than Arizona was though. Like, so I think even getting three wins next year is like a very, very big improvement. I mean, I do kind of wonder about like Colorado's approach to this hire versus Arizona States, because this is a guy who views the job as a stepping stone. And I think, the counterpoint to accumulating talent at Colorado is that in the transfer portal era, that talent could all leave with him in three years, you know, or a lot of it could uh, either leave with him or go elsewhere where, you know, so I think the what Arizona State did was hire a guy who actually maybe views Arizona State at his, as his dream job. And if he builds something there, we'll stay and see it through. Um, I just wonder how many guys would feel that way about Colorado. Right. <laughs> I think it's like going to be a stepping stone right now, regardless. Who is it yeah. that they have in that? They have an assistant in the NFL who's a Colorado grad who a lot of people uh, were B-enemy. talking. be right. That's what, I, yeah, that's what I thought. So that would be, I don't know if you could get him. He's the Chiefs OC, like maybe would be a stretch, but if he was interested in the job, I might've liked that hire more. I don't know. Yeah. I think he his name comes up a lot in um, college football coaching 
searches when they're like talking about NFL assistants. But I think the move from an offensive coordinator position to head coach of Colorado like isn't the best move. Maybe I don't know. Specifically an NFL offensive coordinator. Like I actually think Deion Sanders, like if they had if Deion Sanders and Eric Bieniemy were both like, hey, we want the Colorado job, I feel like I would take Deion Sanders because I'm not convinced that Eric Bieniemy is going to recruit um, and that he's yeah. going to be committed to the work of recruiting. Deion Sanders know what that knows what that work is, um, and he's done it. So I, I'd rather have someone who recruits and than someone who probably has a scheme and has and and frankly, I don't know. I, I tend to be very skeptical of NFL coaches, like the stink of the NFL and the conservatism of the NFL sometimes translates and trickles down in very ugly and dumb ways that I think I probably think Deion Sanders was a better hire than Eric Bieniemy would have been for me personally. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think the other point of it is I kind of feel like with the searches Colorado's done recently, if Bieniemy really wanted this job, like he probably would have had it by now is my opinion. But I, I wonder what Colorado people more well sourced than me in that program would say. Okay, before we get to the CFP rankings, uh, should we talk about the discourse that's been happening about whether or not Caleb Williams faked his injury? I've, I've seen a lot of tweets about this, and they've all kind of been along the lines of he played up his injury so that he could be the hero and win the game and secure his Heisman moment. Do you, do you guys think that happened? <laughs> no. Yes or no? No, no. It's... You know, it's like a lot of this is coming from Utah fans because, and and, and because I I think and I, I think I know why, and it's because they are they don't want people to discredit the win. Um, I think they are deeply, deeply, deeply insecure and afraid that people are looking at this and saying, "Yeah, but Caleb Williams is hurt," and they are finding excuses and reasons for that not to be the case. I don't think they should be insecure about the win because it was such a big win that I don't think anyone could confidently say it would be it would be a USC win if Caleb Williams was healthy. I feel like you can say it would be a much closer game. A different game. It would be a different game, but it wasn't like it was a one-score game. It was... Utah took care of business, so I think they can be happy about their win. And, like, what are you going to do if the other quarterback gets injured? Like, you win the game. I don't know. Don't be be weird and insecure about it. But there's been a lot of tweets about that. Like, if he was faking it... um, (laughs) He faked it the whole game. Yeah. <laughs> where was his moment where he stopped faking? Like he had that that fourth drive in the second half where he like they scored a touchdown and then the rest of the game he did like absolutely nothing because I think that drive like very obviously made him in more pain. Um I promise you that if I've I've watched like every USC game. If Caleb Williams was faking it, he would not have been that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think yeah, I, I think uh, <laughs> Uh, the the reason they give is oh he wanted to win the Heisman so like he needed to go out there and have a gutsy performance and I'm like I just find it so weird and bizarre and strange and like if he wanted to have his big strong Heisman moment he probably would have won the game right like you're saying yeah. Avery it's like <laughs> then why he wouldn't, have l- he wouldn't have allowed three drives to go past where they're all three and outs because he got sacked three times in a row yeah like that wouldn't have happened if he was faking his injury. I feel like at, at some point it's instinct the, to run away, right? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this is uh, Utah fans, but it, I actually did see it from like casuals too, like who, neutrals yeah. who are watching Utah USC. And it's just like such a bizarre, like, you know, it's like the way people are talking about Max Duggan, 
the way people are talking about Cam Rising and the way they talk about Caleb Williams is very different. And like, we've never shied away from talking about these things. Like, feels slightly racialized to me. It does. Especially uh, when it comes down to what's classy and not classy. Yeah. Um, what's professional think, and what's not professional. I feel like right. saying the word classy or unclassy is an immediate red flag. And it's almost always goes back to racism because I, there's very few times that I have seen, I tweeted about this, but it's probably like one out of 20, maybe when a white player is called unclassy. Yeah. Um, and it's, it really, it pisses me off. It's ridiculous. It's what it is, is like this idea of unclassy and unprofessional. People are pointing to like him having fuck Utah on his, on his fingernails. <laughs> um, the, the whole thing about like professional and unprofessional and classy and unclassy is deeply rooted in like normative ways of being. Like what is, what do people consider quote normal ways of being? And they're narrow and people have this idea that like, it should be a narrow way of being that you exist in this world and that you should express yourself in very professional, very like tight lipped ways because it's centered around white people's experience. Yeah. Like well, it's centered around bring, what they're comfortable with. And they're you not comfortable bring in with that. Professionalism. Cam rising was extremely drunk in his post game presser. <laughs> yeah. Like it was pretty obvious. And I don't get, I personally don't give a shit. Like you just won a huge game. You back to back conference champions. Like, yeah, fuck yeah. Go get drunk. Go smoke a cigar. But you can't get mad at Caleb Williams for painting fuck Utah on his fingernails and then not keeping that energy with Cam Rising. And there's also a lot of posts on Facebook and Twitter making fun of Caleb Williams crying after the game. Like, I saw that image circulating. And then with Max Duggan, people are tweeting shit like, oh, you just can't not root for him. And I know it's a, a slightly different situation, but Caleb Williams, like, quote tweeted it and he said like lol and then replied back to it saying like congrats to max but also like people say this and that about me when i cry after the game and it's true it is, it is absolutely true that the way these players get treated is differently is so obvious yeah like i it makes me angry yeah i mean just like Cam Rising at the, he was drunk at that press conference and they asked him about the fuck Utah thing. He's like, I don't give a shit. That's what he said. And it's like, I guess that's not, I guess they don't consider that unprofessional. Why not? Like really interrogate it. Like what is it about Caleb Williams? And like, if you want to just be like full on, just say like, oh, well I'm doing it because he played against my team and I'm being a homer and all this other stuff. I, that feels that feels somewhat excusable and I can sort of yeah. pass for that, but it's not, it's like, no, no, no. He's a, he's a bad, he's a bad person. Um, all the while, again, Caleb Williams is faking his injury to win the Heisman. Uh, while, all the while, while Cam rising was stinking it up against Oregon, it was, Oh, what a warrior. He's tough. He's, he's playing so hard and all. <laughs> How do we know Bonix wasn't faking his injury yeah. for the yeah. Heisman? Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's insane. I don't know. Read. Well, there was uh, also, I know, I know we should probably move on, but like, there's also conversations happening about, whether it was Caleb Williams fault, whether it was because Caleb Williams is selfish that he didn't take himself out of that game. I don't know how you can blame Caleb Williams for not benching himself. That is the head coach's job. It is not his job. He's a 20 year old player. If you want to blame someone for Caleb Williams not being benched, you blame Lincoln Riley. You do not blame Caleb Williams. 
And what would have happened if he had gotten benched? People would have been saying he's soft. People would have been yeah. saying that he's he's like running away from Utah, despite the fact that Cam Rising sat himself <laughs> against Washington State, right? Like, yeah, it's it's insane. It's truly insane. And like, we have a lot of people who from Utah who hate us, and like that's fine. But like, you at least consider this. At least consider just the weird sort of differential treatment where we're. we're talking about with these quarterbacks and and all this other stuff reed i want to make sure you uh i want to make sure that you have a say on caleb williams and this whole discourse just because it was it has been such a huge thing like people are picking it up all over the country now and seeing this and i saw ryan karchi tweeting something about who he covers usc for the la times like i don't know do you have thoughts about this discourse yeah i completely agree with everything you guys said it's ridiculous to think that he faked the injury um I mean, he's a Heisman level quarterback. We all would want him on our teams or at least should want him on our teams. I don't really care to hear people's critiques of his nail polish or like how he conducts himself. And I don't think that it's in any way like uh, uniquely bad that the way he conducts himself. I think it's insane in comparison, the coverage he gets in comparison to these other quarterbacks. Um, but yeah, Caleb Williams is awesome. He's going to win the Heisman. He should win the Heisman. We should all want him on our teams. He's the best player in the conference. Like he plays an extremely fun brand of football. I watch watch his game with like f- friends who don't even follow college football, and immediately he wins them over with just his style and his swagger, um, and like just what an outstanding player he is. So I don't get the criticism. I genuinely feel bad for anyone that can't push push away their hatred for USC to see how good Caleb Williams is because he has been one of the most fun football players that I've ever watched. Probably the best quarterback had one of the best seasons in the PAC 12 since Marcus Mariota. Right. Yeah. It's, it's been such a good time to watch and I can't imagine just like blindly hating him because he paints his nails or he plays for USC. Yeah. You root it's against ridiculous. USC if you want, but just like enjoy it, enjoy the performance, have fun. You know, you don't have to call mm-hmm. him a bad person. Like yeah. it's engage ridiculous. in the hate, right? Like the, Oh man, he, I cannot wait for this kid to get the hell out of here. Like we do that all the time. UCLA fans. I mean, UCLA fans obviously should not be absolved of this because they were, Really, I mean, they didn't start the discourse. They have sure as hell gone on and done rivalry brain stuff and be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> he did fake it. He was trying to win a Heisman. It's like, grow up, you know, just Especially like, since UCLA fans have seen how people have talked about TTR in yeah. the last four years. Yeah. Like, it's the same shit and that, that he's getting. And that being coded. Yeah, it's crazy. For being it's a good player who has fun playing football, who talks his shit because he wants to have fun playing football. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's nuts. All right. Let's move on to the CFP rankings and some bowl schedule um, for 2022. So here's an update on where the Pac-12 sits in the CFP rankings. Coming in at number eight, it's Utah. Number 10, USC. Number 12, UW. Number 14, Oregon State. Number 15, Oregon. Number 18, UCLA. Five teams in the top 15 is pretty fucking good. Super exciting. So is anything shocking to y'all about these rankings or is this about what you expected? I, for me, I think it's it's right. Like I probably would have it the same way. The teams that I think are fraudulent, may, and maybe this is my personal bias, but like USC avoiding Oregon uh, and UW in the, in the cross-division games and UW avoiding Utah and USC in the cross-division games. I think helps their record and standing at the end of this uh, a bit. 
But it's pretty cool that all these teams have ended up right in this gradient from 8 to 18. And I think that's what we thought of them for a lot of the year, especially down the home stretch. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that Oregon State is the only team on this list, um, in the top 15 at least, that played the other four teams in the top 15. Yeah. Right. So. Crazy. Pretty and fucking cool. They 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 did get a win. Um, and there were some... They were really competitive with USC and UW. Um, in fact, I think we can safely say now the only defense that really limited USC, like truly, truly limited without lim- uh, limited USC without any caveats, like off- d- offensively, like they they really acquitted themselves well having to play all four of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe Wazoo. If, if yeah, Wa- Wazoo side, did but... kind of make them play ugly. I think I think the dams sort of broke eventually, where it felt like I think Oregon State sort of hung tough, but Wazoo was is yeah. up there. No for one sure. did what Oregon State did. You're definitely right about that, especially considering that Chance Nolan threw four picks yeah. in that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. True. Um, no, nothing shocking for me. I feel like um, I think the drops are are a little too aggressive for USC. I. I I, I do agree. I, I don't want to say that they're fraudulent. I don't think they're fraudulent. I think they're talented. They have great receivers. Their offensive line is like kind of poopy. Caleb Williams is absurd, but like we know that quarterback is the most important position on the field. Their defense, I feel like, can bend, don't break relatively okay. I felt like it definitely broke against Utah because they couldn't tackle. And I think there is probably some of that like, did they quit um, stuff going on? I don't know. I guess my reactions to this is like, I'm sort of looking at some of these resumes and hearing some of the discourse. And I'm like, USC maybe does belong in the playoff conversation. Like maybe not from an eye test perspective, but from a resume perspective, their resume does not look any worse than TCU. And in fact, it looks better. I personally am a purist and elitist in the way that I think if you get two losses, you fucked yourself over and you shouldn't be in the playoff conversation. Um, Nick Saban was um, begging for a playoff berth for Alabama. And I told him to cry because you got two losses. You had a try. You had one chance. You got a loss. You don't get two chances. I don't really know what USC's resume is looking back at all this. Like, I think that they won a crazy game in the graveyard that Oregon State basically handed them with those four interceptions. Uh, And outside of that, it's like the close win versus UCLA at the end of the year. That's what we're hanging our hats on, I guess. And they beat the shit out of Notre Dame. But Notre Dame Dame lost to Stanford. I don't fucking care. (laughs) Like Notre Dame's ranking was inflated by their brand. If any other team did what Notre Dame did, they would not have been ranked 15 going into the USC game. Um, I personally don't think USC should be in the playoff conversation because their biggest one of the season is over UCLA, which is still a good win. But like Reed said, they missed um, the two best teams in the North, which like I don't want to discredit them for because it's not their fault. They don't make their own schedule. Um, But I also am not going to give them credit for it because they almost lost to Arizona. They were in a weird close game with Cal. Like, I don't know. I also think like I get that like, you know, there's nothing that's like super, I don't know, like that stands out to you. But I don't, I also would say that that's true for TCU number one. I also think like, you know, it helps a little bit that USC's non-conference is not like total garbage. Like 
fine, US Notre Dame sucks. They're like fringe top 25. But they also did beat, and again, not something that you build a resume off of, but more so something to supplement it. They did beat the Mountain West champs in Fresno State. Um, so That's like, true. I, 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 but Fresno State, Fresno State needed an eight-game win streak to become the conference champions. Sure, but you beat a good G5. You beat a fringe top 25 power five team, and then you add two other ranked conference wins. Like That is more than what TCU has done. I think. But that that's a that is a Fresno team that went out the very next week and lost to UConn. Like, <laughs> it's true. It was a different Carlos Fresno thinks team. UConn is elite because UConn's bowl eligible. Read. I'm not sure if you know that. Hayner got <laughs> injured that in the middle of that USC game. I think but, late, yeah. but yes, yes, he did get hurt. Um, I also think he was never that competitive. Like I think he was. I think he was over before Hayner went out. Um, but I don't know. It's like I can't point to anything impressive that TCU. Actually, this is this is a question from one of our listeners. I actually forgot. There, I've got several questions, but it's worth bringing up. Is like, is it in our podcast questions yeah. Discord here? Is Colorado playing TCU close most of the game? They were only down one at halftime. The most impressive thing a Pac-12 team did this year. <laughs> That's from Connor. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Is that a black mark that? TCU was struggling with Colorado early his first game of the season I don't know I'm gonna be quite honest with you I forgot that game happened I did too (laughs) I did too so like I I don't know I guess I'm like if I'm running down TCU's schedule it's like who's their like they beat Kansas State I guess who just beat them uh what Texas I guess another fringe top 25 team you probably would put them in the same category as Notre Dame no what else is there I think the reason that TCU should be included in the playoff conversation, which obviously are because they are in the playoffs, but they lost to the team in the conference championship in overtime. It was really close. They came back from a huge deficit. They already beat that team this season. Like the difference, that's the difference for me. If USC had beat Utah in Rice Eccles in October and then they lost to Utah, USC probably would have been in the playoff conversation. That's the difference. I just think they should have been in the conversation because Alabama was, frankly. Like, I think it's. Was Alabama really in it, though? No, no. I think people were sort of like, they're out. It was like a foregone conclusion. It was Ohio State, TCU, Michigan, and Georgia. But like, Alabama and Tennessee getting like some talk about, oh, did you consider Alabama? Like, why couldn't it have been? Did you consider USC? Like, I think it does something for the Pac 12 when you're at least, when you're two loss team that got knocked out at least is like in the conversation, whether they should have been or not may a different story, but like they should have at least been discussed. Well, I, I mean, look at their common opponent with Clemson. Who's up there at seven, like Clemson played Notre Dame and lost 35 to 14. Insane. Yeah, like that's kind of ridiculous. That Clemson's <laughs> up there. So I, I agree with that. I think if you're, I think that they are being criticized more harshly than like at Clemson is. And I would have them. Yeah, sure. I'll throw them at seven, eight, right behind Utah or something and move Clemson yeah, down. The hardest thing is like, they obviously need to be behind Utah because they lost to Utah twice. And I just don't think the committee was comfortable with putting Utah, a three loss team in seven. Right. So that's probably what it came down to is they just don't like how that looks. And that's why we need the BCS um, system back to tell us what is correct and what is not correct. Because these committee members, their eyes don't work well. Um, (laughs) Their eye test is wrong. My eye test is right, but theirs is wrong. (laughs) I'm curious what the SP plus rankings were after this. I'll look that up. But 
yeah, I don't know, a different computer, uh, like a different computer system. The argument that I have seen about USC being in the playoff um, contention conversation is they're mad that USC is getting punished for losing an extra game when Ohio State didn't play in their conference championship game. So, like, Ohio State is isn't getting penalized for not playing in their conference championship game, but USC is. Yeah, so if USC somehow got snubbed for the conference championship game, they'd probably be in the playoff race. Whereas if Ohio State made it into the conference championship, they could have lost and they would be in the same situation that USC currently is. Do we agree? I've seen the stuff from like Stuart Mandel and other folks. Like, do we agree that USC probably could have just been like, no, we're not going to play this. And they would have just kept their playoff spot. Probably. Well, is that or a, they can would, you even do that? I don't think they can. <laughs> I mean, you take a here's the thing. But they probably yeah, can they in the new take, playoff. <laughs> take a forfeit. Is the is the committee going to punish you? Like, yes, I don't know. Probably. Uh, probably. Yeah, they probably will, and they'll say like, no, they didn't play that game. But like, I don't know. But you're going to see teams doing that kind of shit, the forfeiting shit in and the expanded playoff. Yeah, like book playoff. it. Yeah. Um, Talk about top, fun. Top ten in the playoff in the S in SP plus. If this is like one of the metrics out there. This is like their predictive. I actually want their resume rankings. The uh, resume SP plus is what is what they would have here. So there's okay for people who aren't analytically inclined. SP plus is like a predictive metric. It's it's a they do rank them, but it's sort of like if you're higher, it means you're more likely to beat the other team. Not that you what you've done is more impressive. So in terms of resume SP plus, which looks at well, what have you done rather than like could you beat another team. They would have Georgia 1, 2 Michigan, 3 Ohio State, 4 TCU, 5 Tennessee, 6 Alabama, 7 Penn State, 8 USC, 9 Clemson. Utah would be at 12. Um, Washington would be at 13. Oregon would be at 15. So that's how they have the that's rankings close. for the playoff, though. Pretty that's close. Like the exact. Pretty close, yeah. Anyway, I mean, now Bill Connolly works, works for ESPN, so he's a machine now. So <laughs> I, I, love, don't, I don't know if I trust I him fully. I love talking about these hypotheticals and arguing about this shit without having a conclusive answer. And that was like one of my favorite things about college football, especially in the BCS era, is like you can argue until the end of the day and it's fun and nobody can tell you you're wrong because you can argue just for argument's sake. But in the expanded playoff, we won't get this anymore. Yeah, it sucks. It's dumb. All right, let's move on to the bowl game schedule. So starting with our New Year's Six Bowls, we get two of them this year, which is super exciting. The last time that this happened was following the 2017 season. So on January 2nd in the Rose Bowl, number eight Utah takes on number 11 Penn State. And then in the Cotton Bowl, number 10 USC takes on Reed's number 16 Tulane. <laughs> Roll wave. Roll, Roll wave. wave. <laughs> uh, these are fun these two bowl games i think could be fun um i i think it must be said i said this on twitter i'll say it over and over again the pac-12 title game losers have yet to win their bowl game over the past 10 years they're 0 and 10 usc is on big time upset watch i don't i've they're watched done. one game <laughs> I, <laughs> i've watched one game of uh of Tulane, that was the conference championship game. They looked pretty good. I don't know, it was UCF, but rank UCF was ranked and all that. So I, I, I don't know. I if feel... Caleb Williams isn't healthy, that's a Tulane win oh, for sure. God, I'm like I, I'll say it right now. Yeah, actually, Easy. I don't know. Miller Miller Moss 
Miller Moss would start. Miller Moss would start like most Pac-12 schools. Caleb so. Williams is forty percent, and he's playing. Then I'd yeah. pick Tulane to win. Yeah, I think that's the difference. If if uh, Lincoln Riley makes the mistake of not pulling Caleb Williams when he can't move, then I think Tulane will win. Yeah. Do you guys want to do guess the lines now on these games? Oh yeah. Okay. What do you think the line? This is from Action Network consensus right now, uh, as we record on Sunday at five p.m. Pacific. What do you think the spread of USC Tulane is? Mm, I already know this, so I'll let you guess, Carlos. Oh, I thought you I thought you didn't look. I don't know the other ones, but I I'm know say, Utah and USC. I'm gonna say uh, God. I think I think I think I'm gonna say the line is USC minus three. So it's actually shifted from open. According to Action Network, it is Tulane minus Half a point. Wow. It was one. It was Can USC it, one and a half when it opened, right? Yeah. Can USC pull off the upset in this game? What do you guys think? Oh, <laughs> uh, against the mighty Tulane Green Wave. Is that the Green Wave? Yeah, the Green Wave. Do you think we'll know who's playing quarterback before this game? I don't know. The lanes. The the lines are going to shift uh, for sure if if we do know. I I I think USC is going to lose this game. Uh, I think Tulane is like, <laughs> I think Tulane's going to like be really up for this game and USC is going to be so down for this game. Well, um, even despite that, in the Pac-12 era, uh, conference championship runner-up has never won their bowl game. It's always been a letdown. Yeah. So, well, do you think USC will break the curse? No, I don't think this USC can't team can break the curse. I think we've seen better teams than this USC team lose in the Pac-12 title game. Um, Tulane's got some playmakers. Tajay Spears, the running back, he was just okay. wiggling back and forth. <laughs> USC wiggling. is not tackling him. No. Deuce Watts, star wide receiver. I'm going to assume that it might as well be like statues playing defense out there for USC. <laughs> exactly. So it, it completely, this game completely hinges on whether or not Caleb Williams is healthy enough to play. Yeah. Well. <laughs> play well <laughs> yeah if he's hel- if he i will say if he's healthy he's good to go on when does the combo happen january 2nd in a month yeah, yeah. If, if he can get his hamstring right in a month and the thing with hamstring injuries they kind of can be nagging injuries or they can be fine if he's fine for this game if he's like 95 percent uh i think usc does win i just don't know that that they're gonna risk doing this for a cotton bowl against tulane they might a month is a long time. It is a long time. And you know, these dudes, it's like we talk about like, oh, they're gonna sit out, but like these dudes like playing ball, and it's not like Caleb Williams is going to the draft or anything. Like he's gonna be also, here at USC. This isn't like a huge letdown for USC. They they were terrible last year. They went four and eight last year. And I think we all talked about how like a conference championship appearance was a win for USC. Obviously, they were in the playoff conversation. So that's kind of a bummer that that didn't work out. But considering this is like the first year and some of us, especially Reed, didn't think USC was capable of (laughs) getting 10 wins, let alone going to a New Year's Six Bowl. So I don't know. It's it's a fair point. Huge letdown. It's not like it's not like one of the playoff. It's not like Alabama or Ohio State, who's used to being in the playoff. Exactly. You know, then just going for a New Year's Six Bowl. All right. Do you want to move? I mean, they're not going to the they're not going to the Alamo Bowl. It is. It is USC. It is USC. They do expect. I mean, if uh, rational or not, they did expect a playoff appearance. Fans did. 
fans. USC I mean, fans. so did we, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Um, but preseason, I don't think they did. That's true. Um, so I don't know. Kind of interesting. What's the what? Are, you gonna, are we going to guess the line in the Utah Penn State game? Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to say Utah minus five. Has it moved, Reed, at all? Yeah, it's moved a bit. What is it? From what I saw, it's it's Penn State minus one right now. Again, Ooh, according, I've seen it at at Utah minus one and a half before, but it's at Penn State minus one according to this site. Interesting. I think Utah is going to beat the shit out of them. I Especially hope so. Especially if they go into that game with Penn State favored, even if it's by one point. I don't have a ton of respect for the Big Ten outside of Michigan and I guess Ohio State. So I think you yeah. It's going to be a good game. I think Utah, I mean, I expect it to be a really good game like last year's Rose Bowl was. Probably a little bit of a different style, but um, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I don't uh, watch Penn State. I <laughs> just, uh, I just, I don't know. Um, I know that James Franklin is kind of a choker, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> like, I know that he is, but Kyle Whittingham is kind of a dumb game manager himself, so like, I don't... But I he's lucky really, as hell. Yeah, so. very, very lucky. Greg likes to quote Hithlidane saying that they have a rabbit's foot shoved up their ass. Um, <laughs> like, they are... <laughs> it's fucking insane. Yeah, uh, they they do get lucky in that sense. So I don't I don't, I don't know. Um, I guess Penn State's probably very talented, but I would I hope be rooting, Utah beats the shit out of them because I, I think Penn State is a disgusting institution that shouldn't exist. Yeah, I, I, yes, and also y- Utah fans are just as depraved as Penn State fans. Um, yeah, but they don't. Utah fans at least don't don't like shirk around pedophilia. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, I will be rooting for Utah. I like a lot of the players on Utah. Like, I think they're a good team i i'm really worried about their defense still i'm not convinced y'all know i am not convinced about utah's defense i don't know but i don't penn know who the quarterback is at penn state is but maybe bad. he can't maybe he can't move so penn state's that'd, that'd be super cool <laughs> penn state's offense has ranked 31st in the country um so oh. which is not good actually considering that they're like a power five team and getting that power five bump that's opponent adjusted so like I don't know. That might be another uh, offense that Utah can kind of beat up on um, that maybe is not that good. So it'd be cool. Penn State's quarterback, Sean Clifford, has been there like forever. Um, and he's, oh, he's utterly still there. mediocre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He'll he'll be fine. He does some exciting things, but he's like pretty low ceiling quarterback ultimately. Um, all right. Do you want me to just roll through these or do you want to keep guessing them? Yeah. I'll, I'll, how about we, how about we go through, I'll read the rest of the bowls and then we'll, We'll circle back and guess the spreads. So on December 30th in the Sun Bowl, super exciting, Carlos. Are you going to the Sun Bowl to watch number 18 UCLA to take on Pitt? <laughs> uh, no, I will not be watching this, but I do actually want to go to a Sun Bowl one time, whether it's UCLA or not. Like I do want to... Is I it think Phoenix? El Paso. I think El Paso oh, might thing. be pretty Those cool. Those are the same places to me. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> I think El Paso could be fun. Uh, and the Sun Bowl looks like a blast. Like, I would definitely 100%. Like, that's on my list of bowl games I want to go to is the Sun Bowl. So, unironically. bowl games in Texas. That's true. Uh, but El okay. Paso is cool. It's a border town. S- speaking of bowl games in Texas, on December 29th in the Alamo Bowl, number 12, UW is going to San Antonio to die versus number 20, Texas, as every team in the Pac-12. It's a tradition at this point. Love Caveat. this game. 
caveat, <laughs> the only time, the last time a non-Pac-12 title game loser went to the Allen Bowl was 2018. Well, that was Washington State, and Washington State did win. UW, not who a Pac-12. Who did they play? Texas? Um, who did they play? Uh, 2018 football schedule. They played Iowa State in the Alamo Bowl, and they won. And they were not yeah, a Pac-12 title Texas. game loser. Well, technically, wasn't the last time a non-Pac-12 uh, that was title them. game person it was Colorado, wasn't it? It was Wazoo. Like, okay, no, but so Colorado we, went to the Alamo Bowl like two years ago and mm, lost by like 40 to Texas, didn't they? Uh, was that the Alamo Bowl? And the, oh, the COVID, I didn't count. The COVID yeah, 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 season. COVID. Yeah, you're right. I didn't count that. I, I, I it don't has to count. be versus Texas. I don't count the COVID season for anything. Like, I always skip it over when we talk about these things. I skip it over. I just don't. It the doesn't matter. narrative for that game is going to be electric for a lot of reasons, but Sark is uh, currently the head coach at Texas, so there's a lot of heat there oh seven wins sark versus uh uw it's gonna be fun yeah and then on the 28th in the holiday bowl number 15 oregon takes on north carolina should be no i don't know I'm anything not, I'm about not i'm not interested in this game at all this is oregon. a huge bummer for oregon <laughs> reed reed what do you think about this matchup you're an oregon fan are you excited about it at all i'm excited to get an acc team that's all i wanted i was hoping for notre dame without a quarterback but North Carolina will do. If Bo Nix is healthy, like Oregon's hanging. Is at Bo Nix going to play if he's 50. healthy? He's supposed to play. Yeah, he is okay, supposed that's to play. Cool. Even though he might That leave. makes me happy because that will yeah. make it more fun. Reed, what would you put at the percent odds that he will leave after this year? I would say 60% he leaves right now. Okay. okay. It's close. It's it's closer than people it's think. pretty close. Yeah. Is Christian Gonzalez the only Oregon player so far that said they are not playing in this game? Besides the like seven transfers we've had so far yeah well yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah he's the only one who's opted out for the nfl draft so far i read you are such a breath of fresh air saying that you aren't um boycotting this game you know what? <laughs> oregon fans that said the rose bowl isn't good enough you did this to yourself this is karma <laughs> it always happens you earned this one well it always look, happens if, if oregon just wins this game uw plays like a pretty good texas team at least according to the power ratings oregon can easily finish the season ranked ahead of washington that's all I've heard for at this point. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> all right. On the 17th in the Las Vegas Bowl, number 14, Oregon State versus Florida. The narratives are so I'm excited juicy. for this game, mostly because if Oregon State wins, that's fucking hilarious because we get to rub it in Utah fans' faces. <laughs> that's electric. <laughs> Except I don't think Oregon State is like a good matchup for Anthony Richardson. You don't think so? He doesn't, better he doesn't pass the ball. I know, but their yeah. passing defense is like the best thing about their defense, and he doesn't pass the fucking ball. Yeah, but I mean, the DBs are good enough to try to swarm, maybe. Like, you know, they can, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll good, see. Good point. Um, and then also on the 17th in the LA Bowl, Wazoo versus Fresno State. I always laugh at this that uh, the best team in the Mountain West, the Mountain West Conference winner, has to play the shittiest bowl eligible back 12 team. That's so, <laughs> what a terrible fate. It's so um, funny. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect from Wazoo in this game. Me neither. I, Especially, I'm, is there is there OC leaving? Did that happen? Uh, their DC left. Their, their DC, DC left, left to go to ASU. Arizona State. Good hire for, uh, for ASU. So. Yeah, He's been pretty not? good, and he yeah. hasn't had any fucking talent. So, yeah. I guess he only was DC for like a year, though. Okay, Reed, do you want to do you want to do the guessing game with us? Do you have the lines ready? Yeah, I've got it. Uh, let's we'll go in the same order you did okay so ucla pit what do you guys think mm, 12 UCLA, no, is that way too high 
Mm, I'm going to say UCLA minus, minus seven. It is UCLA minus three and a half only. Whoa. I don't know well, anything about Pitt, except Jordan Addison doesn't play there anymore. DTR <laughs> and Zach Charbonnet probably send this one out. So and I might such actually, a bummer. And Slovis we, stills there, right? Oh, my God. Yes. I forgot about yeah. Keaton Slovis <laughs> being there. My God. Two Pac-12 teams playing in the Sun Bowl this year. You think DTR um, sits this out? Yes. Yeah, Damn, I do. Damn, that's sad. I do. I can't believe that his last game was against was it against stanford cal even worse <laughs> Cal almost lost to cal in his last game all right Rip. alamo bowl u-dub texas what do you guys think <sighs> u-dub four i'm gonna say u-dub i'm gonna say u-dub eight i mean they're they're coming in they're ah, is I Michael like, but texas play? it's a home game for texas though u-dub minus eight is it a pick em? it's texas Minus oh my three and God. a half. That's crazy. That's so <laughs> crazy. I get it. I get it because it's basically, it's it's like an hour away well, from and, their university. And for people who don't know, for a lot of the, a lot of this season, Texas has been sitting around at like between like five and 10 in the power rankings. It's been super weird. No one's really understood why. I guess partially probably because of the Alabama game. Uh, and, but when with a healthy Quinn Ewers, people have been saying like they're a top ten team in the country. So that adds. Is he some supposed context. to be healthy? Yeah, I think he's healthy now. Yeah, uh, UW's defense is so bad. I I'm not convinced they're that much better than USC's defense. I think they're on very similar levels. Um. It, so it's going to be an insane shootout in this game. It'll be entertaining. I mean, a lot of these games have had super competitive lines so far at least that's nice at least to to have that because i mean given the bull history of this conference recently all right <laughs> that's right uh i can go on to the next one um holiday bowl oregon north carolina what do you think about this one avery with bonix healthy and yeah. assuming he's playing yeah like, it should be a, a 10 point game right 10 point spread yeah, yeah, you got it. Nine is and a it half. 10? It's nine and a half. Okay. But I mean, that's that's basically spot on. That's kind of what I expected too. That's, I mean, this is the type of game I wanted as an Oregon fan. Like, let's just play a game that Oregon can comfortably win, get to 10 wins. The season, the bigger goals of the season, like doing anything in the bowl game that is actually valuable is kind of out the window. So it's mm-hmm. kind of just about saving face from a narrative's perspective. And, beating an ACC team to get to 10 wins would do that. Yeah, and it can re- they're they're at 15. So yeah. they can finish the season in like a very good spot if they win this game. Right, despite how embarrassing the Washington and especially Oregon State collapses were, like in a few months recruits don't really watch and of course that's mostly what Oregon fans care about at this point. Um, <laughs> well, uh, it also helps that those losses were against other top 15 teams. Like all right. of Oregon's losses were to top 15 teams, one of them being the number 1 team in the country. So right. that's what honestly that's what recruits care about. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. Um but I think some of the sting I think it will still hurt for the fan base, but I think in terms of perception of Oregon, some of the sting could be taken off by just winning this game comfortably. Uh, and potentially, we'll see what Bo Nix decides to do. Uh, yeah, Carlos is out right now, but we'll go to Vegas Bowl. Oregon State, Florida. So this is a funny one. So Oregon State and Florida, I guess, played in... Uh, I think they played in like the Phil Knight Invitational or something in basketball. Did they do that like a oh, month ago? Oh, did they? 
Yeah, so so that's the line I initially pulled up. Oh. And it was four, it was Florida minus 14 and I was like, "Holy shit. They have <laughs> no Christ. respect for Oregon State. Like that is insane. I didn't think they would respect Oregon State that much, but two touchdowns, but that's not the right line. What do you what's, think it is? What's Florida's record? Are six they and six. 6 and 6? Yeah. Mm. This is a hard one because they have so much more talent than Oregon State. Oregon State is weird when they're not playing in Corvallis, so right. it could be weird. That it's a neutral side game. Where is I this? Think it's in Vegas. Oh, right. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> the Las Vegas Bowl is actually played in Reno, Nevada. Um, no, I think the Oregon State fans will travel way better, way yeah. better than Florida fans. This is like a very big game. I mean, obviously, they could have had a better game. The Las Vegas Bowl is a little bit of a letdown considering their record, but... Um. Yeah, I. This is hard. I feel like is Oregon State's probably like minus four. Yeah, minus seven and a half. That was better oh, okay. than I thought too. I thought it would yeah, be pretty wow. close. Um. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, obviously, this is a way bigger deal for Oregon State's program than it is for Florida's and for their fan base by extension. This game, it's a pretty quick turnaround. Actually, is an interesting part of it. Uh, it's on the seventeenth. Like we're less than yeah, two, two weeks, weeks out. They don't. It's not like a big bowl break. It's like you have a bye week, basically, and mm-hmm. then you're rolling. So I think the only thing that's going to get Florida fans to Vegas is the fact that it's in Las Vegas. Yeah. So they can like go to Vegas and then watch their team. But I honestly think there's going to be so many Oregon State fans there for this. It's it's going to be crazy. I think you're right. That's probably the only hope. I've already seen Oregon State fans talking shit about Florida's bad run defense, apparently. I don't know if that's true, but I hope that Oregon State doesn't pass the ball at all. If if I, Jonathan Smith has really turned over a new leaf here, that would be awesome to see that <laughs> in this be game. Fucking fucking hilarious. Um, last one, the LA Bowl. Uh, do you know where this one is? I I assume <laughs> it's in Los Angeles. Wazoo, Fresno State. What do you think here? This one's weird because like Wazoo's just a weird team. They're like I think they're very they're me- very middling of a team. I don't know that much about Fresno State other than that they started the season at like one in four and they had eight straight wins and then they won the Mountain West, which is cool, good for them, especially with a new head coach. Uh, I don't feel good about Wazoo winning this one because I feel like this is totally a game they would lose but I assume they're favored by like five. Yeah. Let's Wazoo by four and a half. Oh, nice. Okay. Carlos, while you're gone, we covered Wazoo minus four and a half, Oregon State minus seven and a half, Oregon minus nine and a half. Whoa. Any reactions um, there? Yeah, those are big lines, especially for Oregon State and Oregon. I guess those are the only ones Were you you here when we talked about Texas being favored? Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, So I, I guess I'm... I, that's those are big lines good for the back 12 um i hope they i hope uh, i think it's very doable for the I, I think it's super doable for the pac 12 to sweep um i think that's probably a hard a hard ask but it's, they should get away with like uh what do they have 17 five and two record i think is completely yeah, on the table the the last time a pac 12 team has won a bowl game was actually two years ago over two <laughs> years ago so that was oregon versus wisconsin in the 2020 rose bowl and that's seven three straight years bowl. ago yeah almost three years ago that was uh seven straight losses for the pac-12 so reed what do you think what do you think the record's gonna be for this bowl season 
I like five and two. I think that's pretty much that. I mean, that's chalk if you look at this. Like they're favored in four of them. There's an underdog in the UW game, and then the New Year's Six are basically pickums. Uh, I like. If I had to go out and predict it right now, I think Washington and USC lose. Um, and but otherwise, like a lot of these, I think or I think that the Pac-12 is in a good spot. In uh, Oregon State game is really probably most interesting to me uh, mm. right now. Yeah, what do you guys think? Yeah, I I, I think I, I feel less great about the Pac-12 just because I've been hurt before. So I feel like <laughs> three or four wins is where my head's at. But I'm hoping I hope they hit five or six. That'd be cool. Um, I think I'm most excited for, fuck, I would say USC, but I don't know what the situation is going to be at the quarterback, but I feel like USC Tulane is a fun matchup and I'm glad we have a second New Year's Six game, but I think I'm excited for the Rose Bowl because I think Utah has a really good shot at winning the Rose Bowl and this is the last real Rose Bowl that we'll get. So since the Rose Bowl's in the playoff next year. The one big deciding factor is going to be how many players sit out. Um I, Clark Phillips might sit out for this game allegedly. I've... The reason I don't think that's going to happen is because it's cheesy, but he's like really a, a team guy, and this yeah. means a lot for Utah. And I think they're very motivated by like the loss of their players last year. So I think it like means a lot to them, and I don't think he would sit out for that reason, especially since this is a huge upgrade over where everyone thought Utah would be at like two weeks ago after Utah lost to Oregon. I thought they would be in the holiday bowl. So being in the Rose bowl and having the, an amazing chance at winning a Rose bowl for Utah, I think is going to keep everybody that would sit because of the draft playing. And I think Clark Phillips is really the only guy that yeah, is like a threat. I would be okay yeah. with sitting. <laughs> Yeah, he's the only threat. Well, you know, and it's USC. Jordan Addison might sit. Is Jordan Addison eligible? He is, right? Jordan yeah, Addison I assume Jordan sit. Addison will not play in this game. Yeah, like a bunch of those guys. Like, I, I don't know, Tuli Tuli Pelotu. Was he a sophomore? Is he a junior? Uh, I'm not sure on that one. I'm, I'm not sure either. Quick. But, um, you know, I feel like there's a bunch of players there for USC that I think uh, might yeah, sit Tuli's out. Yeah, Tuli's a junior. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, I don't know if he's being if he's being talked about as a draft pick, he might sit out. DTR Zach Charbonnet, I think, will definitely sit out. Is Michael Penix going to sit out? You know, if he sits out, that completely changes things for Texas. I don't think Michael Penix is sitting out because people are talking like he's coming back next year. <sighs> yeah, I think you have to have your draft stock more locked in to sit out, you know? I mean, if you're like a Clark Phillips or a Jordan Addison who's like, you're going day one, maybe day two at latest, you can sit out, you know, but... For a guy like Penix, like if he duels with yours in the Alamo Bowl and, you know, throws for seven touchdowns or something ridiculous, like who knows? That could help his draft stock, actually. Okay. That's fair. Uh, Oregon State, I'd worry about some of their secondary. Like maybe they do have a couple of guys who are locked in. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, and this is why it sucks. Um, why having the playoff sucks and why having the playoff expansion sucks is that like it really does make all of these games meaningless uh that they don't really matter that they're just like oh why would i go for like the alamo bowl and it's gonna get worse with playoff expansion right like if you're not in the 12 like sure okay it's gonna be relevant for like 15 teams at the end of the season 20 teams at the end of the season but then when the playoff 
structure is set when the when you, and you find out you're not in we're not getting anyone playing in these games um they are going to mean so so much less than they ever did so i i don't i don't know it's like you're you're sort of you want to val you want to include more people in the playoff experience but you're only including 12 teams and like there are 30 other teams for whom this stuff these bowl games matter and they won't anymore i still care yeah. about them I, i'm so I excited do. to see most of them I am. Um, I just it's think it's just that, harder to care about them when the best players don't. Yeah, yeah, and and when it's kind of seen as like you know, I don't know, when players and coaches really treat it as a, I don't know, just like nothing. There's no stakes here, right? Uh, it's because when there was no national championship game or when there wasn't even a playoff, it was like, okay, well, um, UW is ten and two. They're ranked number eight or something. If they beat the shit out of Texas, they can get ranked in the top five, and that's going to matter, right? Or they can, or if it's like you know, if, I don't know, um, U- Utah, right? Like being able to get ranked higher, like all of that sort of stuff matters. If you're not having to constantly just think about a playoff and a national championship, so whatever. It's weird to me how players draw the line with some of these bowl games, though. Not that I blame them for sitting out in general, but it's just funny, like. I don't know who Penn State played to end their season, but they're like number one cornerback opts out before the Rose Bowl. Like if they're playing yeah. Purdue or some random Big Ten team, like on, why don't why don't you just leave after you lose to Ohio State? I kind of yeah. feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It sucks. And, and it's not like, again, it's like, I don't know, players have to do this for themselves. Like it, it's not their fault. It's, it's the structure. No, it's not. Fault. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's, totally. It's, you know, the fact that like, why why would it matter? Like, and truly they're right. Like it doesn't matter. Um, and it has nothing to do with the fact that there aren't enough playoff teams. It has everything to do with the fact that the only thing we care about in this stupid fucking sport now is a national championship. <laughs> um, like, you know, it should matter to USC that they're getting a new year six bowl in year one of Lincoln Riley, but it doesn't because people have been just championship pilled to the point where they think nothing else matters in a sport Big where they're all propaganda. <laughs> You know, it's like we used to be able to have multiple successful seasons that ended in wins, and now we just have one and then a bunch of whatever. Oh, well, you know, we got there, so whatever. This is why, for me, it's so easy to be an Oregon State fan. Obviously, there's a million reasons, but seeing how excited Oregon State is to play, obviously, like, they could have ended up in a better bowl game if things cracked a little bit more their way, but considering they're top 15, they're playing it big brand sec team in the las vegas bowl and they're stoked for it it's yeah. it's fun it's a lot of fun and i'm seeing ucla fans being like i don't want to fucking play pit in the sun bowl Ugh, like grow up who cares i mean it's 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 like not i don't even know if i blame them it's like you know i it's not their fault that the only thing that they've been told matters is a national championship which ucla will never win UCLA will <laughs> never win any a given national day, championship. <laughs> Anyone can win on any given day. Yeah, here's the problem with the new playoff expansion. They want to take the any given day. You don't have it's not any given day anymore. It's any given day times any given day times any given day and then another any given day. Don't so. make them do the math. They don't want to do the math. <laughs> they just want to listen to the sweet sweet words of ESPN in their ears. Here's the thing if you think every game's a toss up at that level, which it's not. It is so not. <laughs> if you think so every dumb. game's a toss up at that level, then your odds of winning a national championship. Let's do it. You think uh you got to go play four games if you start out in the in the in the first round? Um that would be 
you, uh, 0.75. A six point, yeah, six point, a six percent chance of winning the natty. Yeah. If you have a coin toss in every single game you play, that's dumb. It's dumb. I feel like that's enough for some small brain fans that want to <laughs> hold on to the hope of that happening because they think they're special and unique. Yeah. You're yeah. not special and unique. But like, I don't know. Again, it should be cool enough for Utah fans that they get a Rose Bowl. And it is. I think it is. But, mm-hmm. you know, remember? To, I remember 2019 and they were like on the cusp of a playoff. And they're like, no, we're too good for the well, Rose Bowl. The we don't want a Rose cool Bowl. The reason it's cool for Utah fans is because they have three losses. And despite that, they're still in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, yeah. If You know that if Utah ended the season with one loss and they're in the Rose Bowl, they wouldn't be happy about it. Even though Utah being in the Rose Bowl is pretty fucking impressive and quite frankly should not happen <laughs> considering what where that program stands and again not their fault because they've been told that the cha- national championships are the only things that matter that there was only one way to attain it you go through the system and you hope you don't get blasted by georgia um I, simply I hope- pull yourself up by your bootstraps <laughs> and win those four games as the 12th seed insane stuff i hate it i absolutely hate it does anyone else have anything to talk about before we end this episode Two lines scoring 50. Roll wave, baby. Roll wave. wave. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, As for myself, at Brave Grapes, Carlos, at Equity Bruin, Reed, at MF underscore Reed. Always remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Not even Tulane. (laughs) Tulane is on a truck stop in our hearts. Still and thick with smoke So thick it makes you choke The crowd falls in The coffee's kicking And my patience are wearing thin Said I'm lonelier Than a single sax On a quiet city street Things aren't always green